All right, we're finally back after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's been fucking crazy, right? I mean, what are we supposed to do? It's its hard. Quentin, you had a birthday. I had, I don't know what I had. I had other stuff in there. Um, but we're back and we're doing something um, that uh, that you you told me the, the concept comes from, uh, was it Bill Simmons? And his, yeah, uh, Bill. Yeah, Bill Simmons. Uh, he does uh, this thing on for the book of basketball. Um, he does. He did it for like other for like movies and stuff for the for the Ringer. But it's like this rewatchables thing where you know you just go back and watch certain things and uh, re- remember how you felt at the time, and then come back and revisit them. Revisit them now with like new notes and new opinions. And, like primarily, I've been thinking about that when it comes to basketball. They've been like going back and like watching old basketball games. And I thought that may be an interesting concept to apply here for us um, and for me and Tim. If you're familiar with us at all, we both have a big affinity for European indie wrestling. So I thought it would be a fitting thing for us to do is uh, go through some of the landmark European indie European indie shows of the last like ten plus years and revisit them, rewatch them, uh, remember how we felt at the time when we first saw them. And how we feel now, going back and looking at this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the first show that we're in the first show that we're doing today is Progress Chapter Twenty, uh, Thunder Bastard Beyond Beyond Thunder Bastard. Yeah, and you mentioned that he calls it the rewatchables, and then when you told me that we were going to be watching Progress, my initial reaction was that ours is going to be the unwatchables. But um, <laughs> oh, but this is coming from a period where in Progress or it was actually great. So once it got watching it, the nostalgia was hitting for sure. Um, oh, you don't think you don't think you, don't think you said our name yet? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say it now, but I do. Uh, after watching this show, Quentin, you know what I definitely felt was I felt geese. I don't know if you felt geese, um, but I was feeling super geese, so geese that I think this week, me and you, Quentin, we are the Sebastian fan club. Um, uh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Remember the fucking geezers, right? When they came out, I was like, "What the Dude, fuck?" It's only five years ago. I know. Completely forgot about it. Then I remembered. I'm like, oh shit, yeah. Like Tom Irvin gets in the fucking main event of this show because he got retweeted by Stone Cold Steve Austin, which is insane to think about. Um, and that whole gimmick became like the focus of everything online for progress, and it was a big deal. All because of Stone Cold, you know, retweeting them out. That the one fucking thing. And now it's like you know, Stone Cold does his podcast, and he's he's you know obviously fully entrenched back in the wrestling like 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 any anybody can get on it yeah anyone can get on his po- mjf has been on his pocket like so it was not a big I think, deal i think i think, R- I think rj city's been on it like. yeah but at this but at this time when this was happening like just getting rt'd by fucking stone cold and getting a response from stone cold was big enough to make you a main eventer in progress it's pretty fucking funny um so yeah so we open this up um well, and- hold on, hold on. like i want i want to give um some background info yeah, because yeah, yeah. like yeah remember like this is like a sort of a rewatch like going like a going like a going back in time thing so to kind of like put in perspective like where we were where we are at this time um this is july 26 2015 four months prior is when demand progress launched so yeah. we're, we're only a few we're only a few months removed from the start of that i mean um, it's only what is it um unbelievable jeff right that's the one that i always point to as kind of like because it was the one that ended up on um, on YouTube on for YouTube, free yeah. because of the camera issue with the hard cam. Uh, that's chapter thirteen for for frame of yeah. reference. That's seven chapters before this, and so yeah, so so 
demand progress had just started. Basically, a lot of people, their first taste of progress had just come out, uh, you know, a couple months before this. Like, yeah, it's 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 very inter- it's 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 a time where progress is just coming together as this because this is a totally different than the garage era progress, you know. Okay, so we have so we have, so we have like a good frame of the uh, the date the dates and everything going on. Um, one show prior is the first Super Strong Style 16 tournament, and in this tournament alone, like and it's kind of crazy, like this is their first tournament, but they have Will Osprey, El Ligero, Mark Haskins, Jack Gallagher, Rampage Brown, Walter, Roderick Strong, Tommy Yen, Marty Skrull, Eddie Dennis, Dave Mastiff, Noam Dar, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Big Demo, and Zack Sabre Jr., yeah, and they have uh, that Zach's- entire that that entire list, other than Rampage Brown, is all signed. <laughs> right, all signed to major companies. You've got um, Zack Saber Jr. versus uh, Zach Gibson in the first round, which was a match I think from the first no from the second Progress show. They had done they had done Zach versus Zach previously on like the second show and then here they're doing it again in the tournament i think it was second might have been a different show either way you know it was from early on in the um in the existence of the company and then it's it's back here um and gibson seems like a totally different person and yeah everybody that you just named is signed by wwe um are any of these people in aew uh yeah, no, 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 no one, in a, no one in aew but wwe um, and uh, new japan um, and um, ROH and ROH, yeah, and it's pretty crazy. I mean, the amount of them that are actually signed to you know NXT UK, if that still exists, is a lot. But either way, um, and, then, f- and then go and then go into chapter twenty one. So I want to go to also a chapter before and then the chapter and the chapter immediately after this chapter twenty one, which is another one of the more famous progress shows of the time because I had two really killer matches on this. Uh, you go through this card and it's. The London Riot versus James Davis and Rob Lynch. I mean, I mean, no, 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 like the London Riot are James Davis and Rob yes. Lynch. The, the London Riot versus the, the Origin, uh, Laguerre and Cruz, Jack Gallagher versus William Ever, Eddie Dennis versus Zach Gibson, the infamous Paul Robinson versus Jimmy Havoc match, Marty Scurll versus Chris Travis, in which I believe um, I, I remember this match because Chris Travis has, has still been, has, uh, had been battling uh, cancer by this point, and this was this was a, was, was a, one of his return matches. And Marty Skrull, this is when he officially turned heel. Because I think he wound up low-blowing Chris Travis after the match. Yeah. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was it, Chris Travis's last match. Yeah, this was Chris Travis's last yeah, match. Yeah, he had already yeah. had um, some issues. And I think that there was times where there was rumors of it being that he was having, thinking he was having concussion issues because he was having weird brain headaches, stuff like that. And then it comes out, you know, that it's it's the cancer. And not only that it was cancer, but that it came back a second time after this. Yeah. Um, the Sumerian Death Squad, Death Squad versus Michael Dante. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I only keep, keep, keep saying yes. it. The Sumerian Death Squad versus uh Roderick Strong and a and a surprise partner Adam Cole. Yes, yes. at twenty. Even though Adam Cole was like this huge star twenty fifteen, still they got him to be a surprise for this progress show, and that's capped off by Will Ospreay versus Mark Haskins. Which, um, as we get as I as I talk later about uh, when, it, when, it, when it comes to chapter twenty. Like a really split crowd in Haskins versus Osprey, and it's like this is immediately after Osprey has this big moment to end Chapter Twenty. So that's some context there, and it's all and 
to like you go back even further, only five years ago, um, depending on how you feel about the Red Pro Cruiserweight title or something like about something like the Southside Speed title or um, the Red Pro Tag titles, this is the first major title that I, that Will Ospreay wins, and this is before this is before this is before Bola. I'm not sure he had been announced. I'm not sure he had been announced for Bola yet. Um, he he wasn't 2015 no. Bola, right? Yeah, yeah, he had not been announced yet. Um, for Bola at this point. Yeah, so this so this right here on uh, July 26th was a bit was like like a real like seminal Will Osprey moment, and I think now we're pretty good, we're pretty good to go into this because again only five years ago, but. Man, that's so much changed. Yeah, because I remember being like very excited for the idea that the Progress Champion was going to be in PWG, and I was hoping that he would bring the belt. Because at this time, I mean, I had one friend at the PWG shows who also knew about Progress. Um, actually, Mario, uh, who did the album, like did the the podcast art for uh, This Week in Wrestling, and. Um, and also for a couple other shows on the PTBN network in the past. And he's made some cool shirts with like Tiger Kid and, uh, or not Tiger Kid, um, Tiger Mask and uh, Dynamite Kid. And like he makes a lot of really cool sh- wrestling shirts and art and stuff like that. But he, uh, he was like the only fucking person who I could talk to about progress at this time. Um, and maybe even like a couple years before um, at PWG shows. And yeah, we were both so fucking stoked on the idea that, that, Will Ospreay would be bringing the belt there, and he didn't, obviously, um, which was a bummer, but whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, one thing you mentioned was a Sumerian Death Squad. Um, on the show that we're going to review, they have a they have a title match. It's like, I think it's like their only their first defense of the tag team titles. And then I was looking it up, and it's like the the Adam Cole versus Roderick Strong match from the next show is is their second and final successful defense of the tag team titles and it's so funny to think because i remember their reign being a long big drawn out thing but it really was i mean they had the they had the progress titles for maybe like they had like four matches they won them they defended them twice and they lost them yeah and then, and then they lost to uh Legero, Legero and cruz i believe yeah in like a multi-team thing but it's like they had the tag team match with um the ladder match with War Machine, and it was like just all like it felt like they were the reigning tag team of the division for so long, but they weren't the tag team champions for very long. It's very, it's weird the way that that happens in your head. You know, they felt like the biggest badasses in the tag team division for so long, and it's so funny how how little they had the title. It's almost like like Dusty. You know what I mean? Like Dusty Rhodes is the guy who would always be the biggest star and feel like the the biggest most important thing, but he would hold the title for such a little amount of time. And it's so interesting the way that that can work because they were. They're such a legitimate team, and they were so believable that they didn't need the tag team titles to be over. And then now you've got Tommy End, who's you know part of the really the most important acts that are going on in WWE. And Michael Dante is who fucking knows? Like he's just completely gone. Which I'm not saying that, uh, like he deserves better, but like has anyone seen him wrestle in years at this point? No, you know what? You know what's crazy is that we're gonna we're gonna get to him when we uh, talk about the show. Michael Dante looked awesome in this match, and it's like it, it really was like, man, what the hell happened here? Yeah, he. I but, mean, he was really good in this tag team. Um, another another one for another one for me. Um, shit, where was I? Where was I going? Where was I going with this? Damn, nah. Um, yeah, you you keep going because I completely forgot where I was oh, going with that. No, I mean that that I mean that was about it for me. It's just. So I was going to talk about because you kind of talked about you know the background. I was going to talk about the the transition and and. 
watching this stuff, I mean, I mentioned the geezers, and we've mentioned, like, you know, like, I just mentioned the Sumerian Death Squad's tag team title reign being shorter than I remember it, and, like, there's so much stuff watching this that I'm like, this period of progress, I don't know, maybe I had the most, like, kind of starting to have the most buzz, the most people were also starting to pay attention to it. I think by this point, I was starting to review progress shows on This Week in Wrestling, um, all this stuff that's going on, but it's like this time period, I think I have the foggiest memory about. And it's like the booking was really good, the wrestling was really good, but like, I, I, there was so much stuff here that's coming out of left field. The meanwhile, like the, like the garage, the garage period, and like the natural progression stuff. You, like, you, like, you remember it distinctly because that was like yeah. the beginning. Like, oh. Yeah, the very beginning stuff like really is more kind of planted in my head while meanwhile this period... You talked about Roddy being in the super strong style. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Ciampa versus Sabre because, like, you know, there was the really bad match and then the, the, the I think the super strong style match was pretty good. But, like, that kind of yeah. stood stood out in my mind. But I completely forgot that Roddy was on that in that fucking tournament. You know what I mean? Like, completely. And, 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 and you're, like, as big a like Roddy fan as anyone I've ever met. So. Yeah. No, huge, I mean, huge Roddy fan. So, of course, I was, like, I was super excited at the time. I loved this, it at the time. I remembered it when I saw it. But I'm like... I, did, I wouldn't have even crossed my mind that those were all that was on the same super strong style. That was the first super strong style. That's weird to think. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was the time period you're starting to see progress really break out. And I mentioned it, but you know, un- unbelievable Steve or whatever it is that's a reference. Unbelievable I, Jeff. Unbelievable Jeff. Yes, I don't remember it exactly because I'm not British. Um, was kind of the okay. A lot more people are starting to pay attention. Then in between this show and the uh, super strong style, they did all the shows at Download Fest, which Became, yeah, I, I I forgot how many shows that was because I was sitting like I like you know like, fair warning I'm not giving fucking progress my money at this point so right. <laughs> I download this uh pack off pack off XWT and I'm like man how many fucking shows is between chapter 19 and chapter 20 yeah exactly <laughs> it was like oh it's these all these download festival shows yeah they did all those download fest shows and then that became a big thing and then they they did it uh I think maybe once or twice more and then NXT took it. And then NXT was running Download Fest, and if you remember, uh, there was the angle that they ran with um, with Pete Dunne attacking uh, Mark Andrews while his band yeah. was performing, and that was at Download Fest when NXT had taken over Download Fest. So you know, it's like um, you know, I think it was like an NXT UK thing. It was like all in between the two all mm. the different brands. So it's like it was before NXT UK was a thing, but it was uh, at the time period when the um, I think the it, it, was, it was the purgatory. Yeah, it was the purgatory time. But it is interesting because this was like progress was really breaking out at this time. They're starting to branch out. They're doing more stuff. They after this they they released the potential series, which was like supposed to replace Endeavor because Endeavor was supposed to be a student show, but then it turned into like a popular brand that people were watching on the network on the demand progress. So then they made potential that was like a real student student show that was completely dark matches. It's like kind of comparing NXT TV versus like the Largo Loop. Like the the real house shows versus the the TV show, um, so yeah, like progress was really starting to hit its stride here, and and this show is kind of interesting for that. Did you have any other background thoughts or anything else you want to talk about before we get into uh, like actually talking about the show? Uh, it's it's just man, even some even something like Noam like Noam Dar and like. This I think I think this one of being known like Dar's last progress match I'm pretty sure. Um, this this one this one versus Ever here like let me let me double check before I go before we uh because I did have some notes some known Dar points. That, yeah yeah uh, yeah me too to 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 to, to, to make here 
But I'm pretty sure this is Dar's last progress match. Um, yeah, hold on one second. Yeah, this this is Dar's last progress match. Um, and just and just like seeing Dar and like his goofy fucking Adidas jacket and uh, hearing him here and hearing his and hearing his song is just like, man, like that should have been the fucking guy, like. You know, and it's like he's one of those guys where like his signing just like really messed me at the time. And I guess now we can lead like this can like help us lead off into uh, the show. And one thing to note is this is the this is the debut of the Glenn Joseph and R.J. Sing Sing uh, commentary team. And uh, you know, it's not you know a secret a secret, but Jim but Jim Smallman, who was going by uh, Jimmy Barnett, was doing commentary in post. Um, and this is the end of that, and they move into like the live commentary era. And in my opinion, like I thought, I thought Jim's mom was a, was a very good commentator. Yeah, I thought Jim's I thought Jim's mom was like was super good at that actually. And I remember how bummed I was at the time watching this show and being like, man, like why did they just not have Glenn start doing? Like, but I, I understand why because like Jim's um, intros became such a big part of the product. But man, it's just like. Why couldn't they have found a way to get to, to have to have Jim on commentary still? And yeah. it was it was it was a it was a rough first night for Glenn and RJ. Yeah, no, no, that's that's really true. And I remember it at the time being really bummed out about it and definitely not getting into it. And I think that through all the iterations after this of commentary teams that they do, nothing really came close to being as good to me as just Jimmy Barnett doing solo commentary, even if it was being done post produced. To where, yeah, like, this This obviously, this is another part of progress, the big change in progress breaking out. Because this, doing live commentary, was the start of the, a show is on Saturday, and, you know, the VOD is up on demand by, like, Monday or Tuesday. Like, they right. were, the turnaround time became lightning fast after this. Because they weren't doing any post-production stuff with everything. They were basically, they were doing very minimal and all they were doing was, you know, a high, basically a high quality cut together from the different cameras, high quality render of the whole thing, and boom, it's up online within like a couple of days. And that was another part of what helped make progress explode because they were one of the first companies. Like now, a lot more companies do this, and it actually even like it turned into an arms race, and then it felt like it kind of got dropped. And now, being the first, like having your VOD up so fast is less and less people care just because there's so much fucking content, anyways, that people are trying to keep up with. But at this time, it was like, well, I'm going to keep, like, I care about progress because I'm actually able to stay spoiler-free over the weekend and watch their yeah. show before I know anything that happened. And all the buzz is still going, like, oh, my God, these matches were so great, but I haven't been spoiled, and I can actually watch the show almost, like, within a few hours, you know, <laughs> within a few days and be, like, completely engrossed in it to where you're, like, getting caught up in the same frenzy as the fans who were in the building. So that was fucking huge for them, and I get it. But, yeah, I mean... I was, I've never been a, you know, Jim Smallman's banter before the show and throughout the matches mattered that much. I know that a lot of people really love it. And I'm also the person who says the same thing about PWG. I mean, people went crazy forever that like, oh, once if they leave the fucking Legion Hall, it's going to be the end of PWG. Oh my God. It's, you know, it's that 
you know, that live, and that was something that I was there for, and I even was like, I never cared. I'm like, no, when they leave, it'll be better, and I, I actually have liked the shows at the Globe better, because there's fucking air conditioning, it looks cool, it's yeah, like, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just a better venue. Yeah, it's a better venue, everything about it is better. There's, to me, like, that kind of stuff, that around the, like, accoutrements around it kind of thing is not really the, the, the charm of it, and I think that they would have been so much better off just getting anybody else to do that part and have Jim have stayed on commentary because he was such a good commentator. He really brought so much to it. And Glenn Joseph, he was kind of become, was like one of the mainstays of commentary and his commentary style was fucking cringe forever. Like he was really difficult. I thought that RJ Singh was, was fine. Um, I thought, I thought that, I thought that Glenn had a period when he was good. And then, and then like, and then, and then, and then the the screaming became a meme and they became super self-aware on commentary and then I feel like they didn't get it back together until Matt Richards came around. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and then Matt Richards, who, and then Matt Richards, who's like you know he's pretty much like you know like like Smallman Light. It's like like it's you know, it's, pretty, it's pretty obvious why like when Matt Richards comes around, then the commentary gets better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it it feels like you almost you almost have Jim back. You know what I mean? The Jimmy Barnett is almost back on the commentary there when when Matt Richards takes over. Because yeah, like stuff like Callum Leslie is just I don't know not not for me. Not a huge fan of his commentary you, style. You, you know what it is too is like. And I know that Jim gets a lot of shit, and I know that like it's like some it's like some of it like I think is like well, I think is like always like but like been like totally unnecessary, but man, Jim is really fucking talented, and like that like that's like one of the main things I took away from this is like I remember like just seeing like how like there's not there's not a lot of people in wrestling who could go out there and do what Jim does for like ten minutes and just talk to the crowd and have fun like that. And granted, like Jim comes from an entertainment comes from an entertainment background and like being a stand-up comedian, like, that's very much your job, like, kind of, like, make the audience feel comfortable, and, uh, and, like, get them, get them to laugh, and do, and interact, and do all these things, but the way Jim would do that, and then, like, flip the switch into being able to just, like, so, like, realistically, like, kind of, like, hate Jimmy Havoc's presence so much, like, and, and then, and then talking about, uh, his commentary work, is. I feel like we kind of, we kind of took Jim's mama for granted a little bit. Yeah, that, Jim, that, that was one of my takeaways. He gets overlooked for just how much he was the heart and soul of the company. I mean, he really he really was, and I think that people do give him credit, but they give him credit for like the banter before the shows being fun or whatever. But like, he was the charm of the company. He's got so much charisma, and it's not just that part. I mean, I remember the the like the webisode stuff early on. I mean, one of the things that was endearing and helped set up the the Jimmy Havoc angle so good was, you know, Jim Smallman learning how to get into the ring on YouTube. You know, Jimmy Havoc teaching him how to get into the ring was like a running fucking series on YouTube early on in progress. That was like really endearing and fun. And it set up the the basis for why Jim was so fucking hurt by Jimmy Havoc turning on him because they were he thought that that was one of his best friends. And it was the first time that he found out that like wrestling is shady. You know what I mean? Because it was like up until that point, everything about him getting involved in wrestling was, I'm a fan. Oh, this is so fun. Everything is so fun. And then he finds out, actually, wrestlers are fucking dirty, disgusting monsters who will just stab you in the back. Um, and maybe they believe it or they're justified in what they think about you know why they're doing it. But but it's not all fucking sunshine and smiles. And, and sometimes a psychopath is going to hit you with a pink chair and all the crazy shit. And it was like really cool to like you saw the way that developed. And it was because Jim is endearing. He's got a charisma and I people can shit on him all they want. But he does have a charisma. And that's not just you mentioned it being an entertainment being. There's plenty of comedians who just don't have that same likability and charisma that he yeah. has. You know, Jim, like, Jim is Jim is just likable. Like I, I yeah. like. You and you may not personally find it funny, or you may not personally want to hang out with him, but like he has like sort of like in, like intangible thing that just like 
if if anyone else tried that, if like Glenn tried that, even though like Glenn has uh, his own um, entertainment background too, Glenn would not be able to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so RJ Singh, yeah, that that happens in the pre-match promo, which I skipped over, um, but then I went back and and was like, oh, I'll check out. I can't remember what I was going to look at, and I actually listened to the pre-match talk, and and they they pulled them out there, and again, like I said, that. If you may not like the commentary, which I personally was not a huge fan of, um, not a not a not a big uh, not a big Glenn Joseph fan uh, in general, but I will give him a shout out uh, for cucking T.K. Cooper. It's always cool to uh, to cuck someone. Was that, so, was, was, that, was that ever confirmed? <laughs> I mean, kind of. It's out like it's somewhat out there, but it was like one of those things that people don't like to talk about. But uh, but you know, because like because like it was a little weird how Very. close. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like how much it went from like you know TK Cooper and her on screen and then Dahlia Black. I'll just say her name. Not talk to her about that way. Uh, on screen to then like oh they broke up and then they're posting fucking Instagram pictures together and and all and she's doing commentary with him and that's all very fucking weird, right? I mean, or or when uh when uh, TK came around, she's conveniently she's gone. <laughs> yeah, she completely she conveniently disappears. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's, you know. <laughs> Good for them, I guess. Self-specific power trip, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. And then, um, yeah, Travis. Tra- oh, Travis Banks. Luckily, we don't have to talk about him on this show. Um, but, uh, yeah, opening match, Dar, William Ever, Dar's final this is, match. This is, meant to be, this, this is meant to be Dar versus Mastiff, by the way. Oh, was I didn't even know that. Okay. Was Mastiff injured yeah, at this time? Ma- some, yeah, something happened with Mastiff, and Mastiff wasn't wasn't able to make it, so it got turned into oh, Dar know, versus William Ever. You know what this was? This was that ICW what? time. This, I think, I'm pretty sure this was that time when, if you were working ICW, the dates were lining up really fucked up to where you couldn't work Progress and ICW. Okay, so we can, we can keep talking. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna try to see if there's yeah, an yeah, ICW show. Check and see if there's time. an ICW show that's like the same date or like so close that you couldn't fly back and forth. But uh, but okay, yeah, yeah. Let's keep talking then. Yeah, but I think that that was then. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is this is a really good example of when progress at this time was so good, and that was kind of when I started this diatribe. That's what I was meaning to do or talk about is this is when the progress booking and the way that they used like situations super well to get people over. I mean. Noam Dar is fantastic. He's been a backbone of progress at this point. At this point, he feels like completely polished act that, like you said, like when you see this, when you watch this, you forget just how good he was at this time where it felt like can't miss. When he was getting signed, I'm like, of, of course. I, I remember talking about how young he was. I think he's, um, is he Israeli? He's from, uh, God damn it, I can't remember exactly his heritage, but he's like, he, he, he's, he's Israeli. He's yeah. Israeli, but he was born somewhere else as well, like Morocco or something. So he's like, he's got like that, you know, interesting, unique ethnicity where you can do like the Batista thing and make him a, a star in all over the international scene if you wanted to. Um, and he's just so talented and has so much fucking charisma on top of being a really good wrestler. Um, and you bring him in for his farewell match, you open up the show with him, and you use his farewell match to get over one of your guys. And again, this is why I say this is when progress was so good. I mean, Noam Dar was one of their guys, sure, but he was leaving. So he's leaving, and let's take this time to get over one of our guys as he's going out the door, and they use it for William Ever. It's actually a really good match. Uh, is, 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 wrestling, is wrestling booking one-on-one? Yep. Like, like, even like back to territory days, like, You've been a, you've been like a vital guy for us. You're no longer here. Like do like do favors on the way out. Like yeah, that's usually how that goes. So like from that standpoint, I get it. So it's weird to me though. Like 
And I know that Dar hasn't had the, like the best WWE run. Um, signed really young and just like was not in a position where a signing was gonna do much for him. Um, and it's just it's just like kind of like heartbreaking to look back on Dar because, in my opinion, and I've, and I've said this to you before when we when we talk about progress and like the rise of it and like eventually like you know like who became like the key like the key faces of it. People forget this because Osprey went and like took and took the mantle, but. If you go back even a few chapters, Dar was the guy that seemed primed to beat to beat to beat Jimmy Havoc, and like Dar already had the title shots, sure. But um, if Dar had if Dar had won the Super Strong Style sixteen, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with that. I mean, I think now it kind of gets it gets forgotten because Osprey took off into you know into this megastar and uh, he's gonna go in like all of you like it and he's gonna go down as one of the best wrestlers ever, but. Dar really was like the guy for progress, and remember, like I think Dar and Osprey are the same age, so it really was like a, it was really such a fascinating thing to think about how Dar and Osprey kind of like mirrored each other, and then like once Dar had to go and everything like that, and he like he, his time was up there, Osprey keeps rising and rising and rising, and it's, it's just just like a funny just funny thing to think about what what if Dar decided he just wanted to stay and do progress and said fuck ITW instead. Well, and, and yeah, again, like, Dar was one of the ones who had to take off because of the ICW thing, um, and then he gets signed relatively quickly after that. Um, yeah, the next year. Yeah, and as as you talk about there, I mean, I was going to get into it when we get into the, the Osprey thing, and maybe I'll get more into it, but Osprey did kind of have this weird feeling in progress where he was he was always the second choice. It felt like repeatedly it was like the storyline was supposed to go somewhere else, but then Osprey ends up being the one to do the replacement. But you talk about that Dar was was clearly like or could have been set up to be the guy to take the title from Havoc and it and it makes a lot of sense because like the I remember the the Noam Dar versus Jimmy Havoc submission match from chapter four um was like really felt like starting the solidification of the Jimmy Havoc turns evil story. Uh, because that match was like, yeah, the like Jimmy learning that like or realizing that he can't, he can't do this. He's not gonna be able to play nice and actually succeed in this company. Uh, and then from there, that's when you know they go into like the rest of the storyline with progress putting him into situations where he has to you know go back to his hardcore roots and he blames it on them. But you could see the inklings of it in that match that it was like. Jimmy's getting outclassed, you know, and then and then yeah, and then Dar has title shots against Jimmy Havoc later on that he gets you know fucked out of the title. But it did feel like you could definitely have done the redemption story with Noam Dar being the one to come back and and win the title from Jimmy. But but they not go, only that, it's like 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 I can remember like if you go to, if you remember that Strong Style sixteen from that year, uh, massive massive beast Dar in the first round. And to me, like I, and I get it, like Zach is there. If you have Zach, then like. Zach already being like having like sort of like the, inter- like the international flair to him already. Like, if you have Zach available, you should use Zach to like help put someone over. And I understand that, but it's, isn't this so weird to think that we we missed out on Dar versus Osprey for some sort of like number one contendership, even like a title match? Like, we never got that. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't know that we ever got like a yeah. We never got a big Dar versus Osprey title match, or not even just a big singles match in. In progress, and it would have made perfect sense, especially because, again, I just I felt like progress was weird. Progress, Osprey was very his his push and his storyline and everything in in um 
in progress was very weird. It was just, it always felt like he was like a back burner guy that like just rose to the top. And again, we'll talk about it when we get to that match, but, but, uh, it felt his, his, I don't know, his, his, his ascent in progress felt very snake bit, I guess would be the, or not, maybe not snake bit, maybe like lucky, um, in a weird way. But, uh, yeah, next match, um, Oh, 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 before we move on, uh, William Ever. Like, <laughs> like, like what left to say there? Other than, yeah. Like, man, like just definition of jumping the fucking shark. <laughs> and I mean, was it his fault? No, it's not his fault at all. Like, yeah. Ever, Ever, Ever just wanted to wrestle, and it's it's not his fault that he just happened to be uh, in a company where people couldn't uh, differentiate their friendships with who should be getting pushed. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, just. You know, unfortunately, it was just, like, wrong place, or maybe, yeah, wrong place, wrong time. Not even the wrong guy, like, really. Like, I think that there's a chance that Ever could have been something if it had been at the right time. And the yeah, gimmick didn't so, help. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, me, me, me and Simon talked about this last night, is that it's not that it was a problem with Ever necessarily, but if you go back to the time, I think you were, I think you were there for the, for the conversation, too, is that they do this in the middle of Mark Haskins', Mark Haskins' uh, big run. And everyone knows what they want is this big Mark Haskins eventual title win. Like, yeah, Tommy Ender's right there, and that's cool. But what everyone really wants is Mark Haskins to win win the title. So you fucking suddenly have uh um, like like uh Marty Skrull who just got who just had this match with Tommy End, uh then lose via cash in the fucking well the, the fucking Endeavor ass William Ever after. Mark Haskins is still here, and like we still want, we're still waiting for that like big payoff. It was just a bad move, and like it was never going to do William Ever any favors. And I get it; they're trying to be like predictable on the road to um, Alley Pally and all and all and all that stuff. But it was just a move that like it, it, it that did that did not help him at all. No, and it it feels like it's very easy to say like oh hindsight's twenty twenty on this one, but I think that everyone present company yeah. included we were all saying this at the time we were this was a stupid gimmick this was wrong to have done this at this time and i won't even say that it was again it wasn't ever's fucking fault like he he was presented in a way where where you know the gimmick was over as kind of a wink and a nod. i mean it was honestly like dan Housen before dan Housen. you know what i mean it was this was meme wrestling and People can like say whatever they want about current meme wrestling, and I love to listen to the you know the the people whine about it on VOW or whatever. Um, but uh, but I mean it was happening here way earlier than it was happening on the U.S. Indies, um, and and Ever was that, and it was like. But the thing was is that he was fucking bringing it. By the time the Marty Scroll match happens, and I don't, I can't even really remember the cash in completely. If if the cash in is what I think of, or if it was the rematch. Um, that I think of when I think of them having a really kick-ass brawl all around the building. But it was like, by the time that was happening, Ever was looking good. Like, he was like, okay, this guy could be something. But they shot to the moon too soon. They put the title on him in a way that seemed fluky and made him into a joke. And I'm just, I'm sorry, like, WWE... <laughs> WWE does a lot of things fucking wrong, but they were always smart enough to not have... to try to have a babyface do a fucking heel cash-in to win the title. Money in the Bank, when they do bullshit cash-in like that, it's usually a heel. Like, it's very rarely that the, a babyface does something like this. And, like, the closest thing that you get that that, that comes to that is, like, Dolph Ziggler, w- when he did his cash-in on punk, Alberto De Rio. I, mean, I think Punk, punk cashed-in on, um... 
who, who, who did cash him on like Edge? Yeah, or but like it was Jericho? it was a his first cash in was um maybe it, Edge. It, his second yeah, cash in was like, Hardy. It, it was, that's like, the, yeah, the second one was Hardy, and then that turned to a, that turned to the heel turn. Yeah, but I think that the first one was a heel turn. To, no, it wasn't actually. No, I was gonna yeah, say that was like that was like Edge or Jericho. They did. Yeah, they did and it was it was bullshit too though. Like it ended up really badly. So uh, maybe yeah. I'm wrong for giving them credit for having never done it, but when they even tried to do it, it didn't work because Punk's first title win ended up being a blip on the radar that actually hurt him more than anything and probably set him back a little bit, even though he ended up overcoming it, unlike William Ever, um, you know, like it was not a it was not a, a step in the right direction for him. So yeah, it, it fucked over Ever a lot and it sucks because then he goes from there and he was he really was putting it together where I was like he could be a legitimate main eventer type guy once they, they soften the, the goofiness of this gimmick. He can actually he's having solid in ring performances and being pretty kick ass is like a uh, you know, he's like a, he was like a junior heavyweight worker. He was like kind of in that same vein of like when you talk about Shingo, like a guy who's like smaller yeah, he's, but can he's like, 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 like the power junior. Yeah, exactly. He can wrestle tough for a smaller guy, and it's believable. And it worked with the gimmick. You talk about like he's got the power. He's got the you know the holy power behind him. That's why he's stronger than he should appear like he could be, and that you know the whole thing works. But um, but you just fucking cut him off at the knees here, and then yeah, and then that's it. The guy. Then he goes into a comedy tag team with fucking Chuck Mambo primarily, and and while they're good at what they're doing, they're never really taken seriously again after that. Um, Bubblegum, Mike Hitchman, Morgan Webster, Kyle Ashmore. Um, now thinking about it, I feel like we should have called ourselves the Rent Boy, the Rent Boys. Yes, um, we're just our we just definitely. Yeah. That definitely should have been the move. The move, the move here, yes. dude. That song, that song is great. I, I like, love that song. Like, like fucking Rent Boy comes on, <laughs> um, but I'm, I get reminded now, and I think it's easy to forget how high progress was on Flash Morgan Webster. Yeah, they were in love with Flash, and if you don't remember this, remember that maybe like two chapters later, I'm pretty sure that Flash uh, gets a title shot um, or was like in a title match um, I think it's I think it's at what a time to be alive or uh, yeah that doesn't seem crazy. No, that's, yeah. that's Mark and that's Mark Andrews um, so let's try hit the north yeah he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's in a triple threat with uh, with uh, Zach Gibson and Osprey for the uh, for the pro, for the progress title which made um, sense and, because they were they had gone to Manchester and uh, Morgan was that was like kind of closer to home for Flash Morgan Webster, and, uh, and they were trying to um, kind of sl- like use some like locally known because they were in the new kind of um, new market for the for progress and yeah that, yeah, that that was the first Manchester show yeah. yeah yeah so they were using some people and they and you could see it after that that the Manchester shows started to have like their stars they had like they almost had two different sets of of wrestlers they they were almost starting to do a brand split they didn't completely ever get there but it felt like they were trying to like tease it because they had like the people that were the manchester you know the people that were a little bit more popular in manchester and then the people that were more popular and used more in london i went i went, I went to the uh, second manchester show and man like it's easy for it's, 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 haskins and Skrull were so good together yes <laughs> like, that, was the, that was the main event of the, of the second manchester show uh, maybe maybe we'll get maybe we'll get to that show eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, go, going going back to this one, yeah, like they really love Flash, and it's just so it's, it's funny that it's funny to see him here with a 
one like we know Mike Hitchman, we know Wild Boar, like someone that is a uh, you know very more like very like, closely uh, uh, knit, to, knit to Flash. And then there's Bubblegum and Kyle Ashmore. Kyle Ashmore is still like pretty much like a career mid carder in the uh, in, in the English Indies, which I have never understood why. Um, like I get I get that he's like really has no personality either, but like as far as like just like straight up work, it's surprising he never that he never like caught on anywhere. Yeah, good look, but good work, believable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's interesting to see that like Flash is in here with these you know, for lack of a better term, geeks, and like how Flash is like very clearly the guy that they're behind here. Yeah, but I mean, it does, it shows why, because he completely, like, fucks up some spots back-to-back, and when he tries to pop up into that middle rope springboard reverse Rana that, like, he nearly fucking eats shit on, it was like, that was why they shouldn't have been so behind him, because he was still, honestly, even at this point, he was, like, sloppy and green, and he continues to be that way for, like, at least a couple more years before, now at this point, I think he's actually very good, and, you know, like... Like, I think that he's actually super solid. But even at this time, I was always, I just didn't really see it in him. And that's why you have Bubblegum in here, which I, I completely uh, and, argue and, with. And, and Hitchman. Yeah, and Hitchman as well. But you have the people who can really carry him. But Bubblegum especially is the guy who, to me, is like veteran, really solid worker. Like, I get why you say he's a geek. But to me, he was like... No, I, no, I, I love Bubblegum. But it's not like, it's like realistically how, like, how they're being viewed in the company. Right, for sure. Yeah, but Bubblegum is that fucking road dog. He's so, so good. Like, he's such a talented wrestler that... No, Bubblegum is great. <laughs> yeah, you put him out here and he can definitely carry someone who's, like, shaky and green with no problem. And I was thinking about it after when this was coming on. I was like, damn, it's such a bummer that Bubblegum retired. And then I, like, looked in and I was like, I guess he didn't retire. Like, it, it was a while. Like, it's, he kept wrestling for a while. But it was just kind of, you know, you know, he missed... He's in some ways he really missed the like in UK wrestling huge boom, and I think a lot of people never got to really see him. Um, similar to like Madman Manson, but I think Bubblegum was even mm. better of a, of an actual in ring wrestler. Um, but I think people saw him a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, this was a this was a weird mix because you got Morgan, like I said, very green, but they clearly saw something in him and wanted him to be a star. Hitchman and, and Bubblegum, which Hitchman is like the same level of experience as Webster at this point, but just so much more solid in ring. Bubblegum, who's like a just a consummate fucking pro and Kyle Ashmore the guy who yeah I can't I can't get it I think he just I don't even know if he doesn't have good personality or if he just doesn't know how to pick a good gimmick because every time he like goes with these gimmicks that don't help him then then he was a hipster yeah a few few years after this yeah it's just like dude like that gimmick's not gonna work like just do like a a a normal fucking gimmick just pick something what's like like what's like London London is entirely hipsters like sorry yeah. <laughs> this isn't gonna work buddy you're not you don't stand out here and like people just aren't gonna be into you um follow this up oh um oh, so, I was about to say um I feel for me I think more than anything and like obviously like us being like the two fucking uh nerd 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 bait fetishists that we are I'd, I'd, I'd find a way to circle this back to this but to me I feel like this is a case of Zach Gibson being so fucking good that it kind of like made them think that Flash Morgan Webster was that good, but in reality yeah. it was it was it was really Gibson from the, like that 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 made that made it seem that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's definitely that's not crazy. But Gibson did that repeatedly at this time. It was like anybody that you gave Gibson a couple matches with, they would they would come out of it looking so good that you were like, we should put the title on that guy instead of thinking Gibson, like, did, Gibson did it. He did it with Osprey, like. Yeah. I think the first show of 2014 is Gibson versus Osprey, and Gibson and that match is fucking fantastic. And it's like you leave, and that's the first time you leave a 
progress show, like, well, other than, other than how, maybe how you feel about the Mark Andrews versus Osprey match from the garage, but you leave Gibson versus Osprey, like, man, like, Osprey's gotten really good. Yeah. And Gibson did that so many times to the point where it's just like, oh, yeah, that's just Zach Gibson. Like, you give so you give someone a Zach Gibson and they come out, like, five times hotter than they were before. Right. I mean, fuck it. Uh, Jack uh, Gallagher. Like, even 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 Haskins. Yeah, Haskins as well. Like, you know, these guys are both good, but they come out of it and you're like, they're the greatest wrestler on the planet. Like, you know, like, because Gibson was so good at getting people over. He was, yeah, I mean... And now, what the fuck has he been doing? Like, just just tag team. They can't. They just they can't. They can't seem to break up Grizzle Young Vets. Yeah, that's that's the, that team will continue. That fucking on. that fucking sucks, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, follow this up. We got our namesake for the evening. Sebastian comes out and he's wrestling uh, Damian Dunn. Um, number one, Damian Dunn, and the music hits and he comes out and I'm just like, oh yeah, before he was no fun. Done. I completely forgot about this shit. Like. It's so funny to see to see Damian Dunn here being like kind of a serious wrestler. And this was he came in here and this was before they had brought in Pete. They hadn't even done the Dunn brothers. Um they had only done Yeah, uh, the the only, the only time we had seen Pete was like during the Natural Progression series and there was like some angle where um he came out to he came out to like help Robbie X and like some other people fight off like regression or some shit. Right. Yeah, so so Damian Dunn here is the the first Dunn brother in progress, and he's he's serious. Um, and this is very weird because Sebastian, as we come to see later, is like a natural fucking heel, and he's so good as a heel. But because the geezer thing is is over, and they're actually smart enough to just go with it, he works babyface here, um, and it's not terrible. His selling is pretty good. Damian Dunn, I think Damian Dunn was a solid heel. Um, he's gotten uh, so much better at it now, but at this time he was boring. You know what I mean? But uh, but uh, at least now he's got like some personality. It, you know, comedy can whatever you, people think about comedy wrestling and all that stuff. You can think whatever you want, but he's he's very good at that. But uh, wh- were you gonna say something there, Quentin? Oh no, just listening to you. Okay, yeah. So so yeah, it's kind of like it's a weird match because it's two guys who are clear. You know, obviously they're both. I mean, Damian Dunn's not super early on in his career here, but Sebastian definitely is. And it's two guys who, watching this, you're just like, it's so weird to see them at this point before they really, like, develop into what they can be and what they can do. Because Sebastian as a heel, I thought was phenomenal. Like, I don't know. That that, that, that William Ever match that he had, the, the blow after their feud, was, yes. like, way better than any right to be. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, it's so weird seeing him here, and it, again, it, like I can't argue with it because it made sense. They were going to be over no matter what, so so you had to just make them be baby faces. But uh, but it's weird. They don't, er, it's early done, just being like a basic boots and tights heel, which again he's like good at it. He's in that old school style where you I could see this on the camp shows. You know what I mean? But then the way he turns into no fun done and and all of that, like it's 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 so unique that it stands out and it's a special thing where it's not just like you're run of the mill, whatever. Um, the finish of the match, I think is super fucking weird. I guess it plays into the character. Like, you know, Irwin kind of can't do anything right, but, but then Sebastian still just gets the win and then it's over. And it was kind of like, I don't know. Like, again, like I I think it kind of sucks. Sebastian is gone. I think, you know, it's very funny as we're doing this and we're both, we both were fans of Sebastian. Uh, I popped onto the internet to like, Oh yeah, I remember these guys were so fucking popular. The geezers and Tom Irvin is still 
on Twitter just doing whatever, but Sebastian was gone, but I I didn't even realize, but came back like days ago and just really? yeah, and just tweeted out like Twitter with like an, an avatar that's him with like those Groucho Marx glasses and says, like something like I'm back or whatever. And this was just a couple days ago. And I haven't like followed up to see what's happened since then. But it's very funny that like randomly he's been offline because of I don't even remember exactly what happened. I know that he got a bunch of heat from talking shit on you know online and social media and stuff. He, he, he just he just talks shit about everybody. Like Sebastian was like almost like prototypical like wrestler quits and it's just like super better. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, because his because his last match was that uh, William Eva blow off at Chapter Forty Four, and that was. February 26, 2017. Yeah. That was his last match that's documented on here on Cage Match. And it just felt like, yeah, simple, like just a very, like, standard guy, like, just, like, super bitter, super bitter about wrestling and just gonna talk shit about everybody. Yeah, but he didn't just talk shit because I think that, like, he also was, like, par- part of, like, the, hey, why does nobody talk about all of these fucking trainers who are, you know, nonces, basically? And he was, like, you know, the guy who was talking about all that shit when it was. It wasn't just basic shit talking, but it was also like him just like going. He was fully on board with like exposing everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like you know people forget about that too. Like all the Me Too, and I'm not like minimizing Me Too and all that stuff, but like there was a UK wrestling Indies wrestling Me Too that happened way before the Me Too that happened in America. Like where like, Sebastian you know, was part do you know of that. Do you know? Do you know how fucking weird it was to see James Davis on this show? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like, there was a lot of that where it was, like, all these guys, yeah, fuck, oh, man, since, okay, so since he popped back up and tweeted that he's back, he has been going on a, a fucking storm again, um, one of which is Velveteen with the teen what, capitalized what, dream. What, uh, what's his, what's his it's handle? still, have you seen Seb? It's the, the, okay. old, the old handle that yeah. he had, and he's tweeting, yeah, about, like, this guy is blowing up my DMs. Um, yeah, wow, wow. So, yeah, I mean, he is... Uh, he is back, and he is, I guess, back on the warpath. So that's very interesting, because um, this just happened like days ago, and then we were like, "Oh, let's watch this and talk about it." Um, uh, so yeah, Sebastian's back talking shit, uh, probably because he's bored on quarantine at home. So he's just like, "I need, I need to come on here and talk shit." Um, so yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 weird seeing these early versions of these guys. What did you think of the match? Do you have anything? Yeah, I was, just, I was impressed. I thought I thought Dunn was very solid in this. And Sebastian, like you can still see like his good his, his good qualities. Like he can't do it as much because he's a babyface, but you can still see like his like stooge bumping a little bit in this. And like that's just what he what he naturally is. He is gonna be a, a, like a big like stooge bumper. So I think that you showed showed a little bit in there. And then Dunn, like yeah, he's boring, but he he's a, he was a solid guy. And I'm not sure where where his career goes if he doesn't do the anti police uh, anti fun police thing. Like, yeah, like he just he didn't have the same like charisma that Pete that Pete eventually found, and he just he needed he needed to find something to do. And it look it, it was it was anti fun police, and I can't and I can't knock that. Where like they've outlasted everybody, so they're like pretty much like the, the default tag team of, of of Europe at this point. Yeah, and it's really interesting because uh, you know he puts together the anti fun police. He continues to wrestle in attack the entire time where he puts that together and makes something out of that attack which is you know owned by pete dunn and uh mark andrews but like a lot of the stuff that makes it feel like he has to come up with that gimmick and do all that stuff uh, and that his career stalls out to me feels like it links back to like 
the Dunn brothers thing. You know, I heard someone talking about this recently, but it was like WWE, you know, NXT UK wasn't going to call him Damian Dunn. I think they brought him in and had him wrestle under a different name because they don't even want to reference the idea that him and Pete Dunn are, you know, kayfabe even, brothers. Even, even, even know each other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they don't want to reference the... So it's like, it feels, in some weird way, it feels like his career kind of stalls out from being the, you know, kayfabe brother of a guy who becomes the biggest name in in European wrestling scene for a lot of people. So it's, it's very odd that then he kind of reinvents himself and becomes, like, has a second wind of a career in that fake kayfabe brothers promotion. So it's just odd to think about... Um, Follow that up with the uh, the guys that I said felt like the aces of the Progress Tag Team Division for so goddamn long against, you know, one of the aces of European Tag Team Wrestling for this time period, at least. I mean, the UK indie wrestling boom, the or I guess I would say the pre-UK indie wrestling boom tag team was the Hunter Brothers. I mean, everyone talked about just how good they were and great trainers, really solid wrestlers, but never really got... They've never really got hugely over anywhere. Another set of guys who really made their bones in attack, doing like goofy gimmicks, but but being really solid wrestlers. And it's like they're they're never real, they're never super over when they come out. But by the time that but by the time their match is uh, getting to the climax, everyone's going crazy for it. Yeah, exactly. They they're they're really good in ring wrestlers, and that's about it. Um, and if you if you know, you know, you know they're they're wrestlers, not wrestlers, wrestlers, but they're like wrestling fans, wrestlers. You know, like if you. If you pay attention and you have seen them enough, you're like, oh, yeah, these guys are great. But if you, you know, aren't really hardcore into watching that kind of shit, you like just you don't even know who the fuck they are because they are kind of nondescript. They like they look like identical twins. Are they identical twins? I think they are. Um, If not, they're like close enough. And it's like, yeah, they just like they're whatever. But fuck if they're not great. And this match, like you mentioned, Dante looks so good in here. I mean, they take an ass whooping in here, and this is basically a babyface versus babyface match. You could say anti-heroes yeah. to kind of steal the the t-shirt that I have. Um, anti-heroes versus heroes or whatever, but it's just a pure babyface match, but it's just a big badass is just kicking the shit out of some, like, underdog um, you know, <laughs> to steal a line from my old podcast partner, blowjob babyfaces, um, getting beat up by big bully babyfaces, and uh, it kicks ass! I mean, it really does. I love this. Like, to this point, probably the best match on the show. Um, yeah. The, the opening match was good, but it was not as good as this. And it was, it was again, what made that this time period feel like Sumerian Death Squad. They were, like, the kind of tag team that you could feel could main event shows. Like, you know, that's, that's kind of supposedly coming back in AEW. But at this time period, the idea of, like, a tag team main eventing a Western show was pretty fucking, like, far out there. But Sumerian Death Squad felt like they could be like a, a suitable acceptable main event program because uh, they they kicked ass yeah th- at the time i remember like this like this was i'm actually got a ton of buzz coming out of chapter 20 obviously going along with the main event too but i think for a lot of people this was their favorite this was their favorite match on the show straight up and i can't fault anybody that says that this is a really good sds performance the hunter brothers are as solid as always the crowd gets super invested in it uh like every SDS, I kind of forgot how good they were, and I'm sitting there like, and obviously like you've been a, you've been a big Tommy Yang fan for a long time. I've watched Tommy Yang for a long time as well, and it's just like seeing how ready he is already in 2015. Like this dude is fucking ready, like, and he and he's, he was probably already ready to, to like to go and be like a big star somewhere by by 2013. 
but it's just to see like how like so much of a ready like ready-made product he is and I don't think he'll ever get to live up to his potential on like in WWE like even though I thought there was a window for that but like imagining if like ring of like if like ring of honor was like scooped this dude up around that time and ring of honor was still like somewhat competent like man like i i feel like he could have i feel like some like he could have done some good there yeah no i mean shit you you mentioning ring of honor reminds me i mean you remember that kick-ass tommy n versus brian danielson ambition match like yeah imagine tommy and because even at that time i mean this guy has been polished in ring for a long fucking time he puts together the look and the charisma later but but early on, I mean, in ring, even in that ambition match, he's phenomenal. Imagine Tommy Inn shows up in that golden era Gabe ROH. Like, you know, that, this Tommy End showing up there, he would be legendary. Like, he would be in all, like, one of these people that people talk about still. Because he's so fucking crisp. Everything he does looks brutal. Like, he's, he just, he's fantastic. And, and I get where you're coming from that he may never get a chance to really show his full potential in WWE. But I also am like, fuck it, man. Connections mean a difference. And right now... His uh, his wife is the fucking number one. She's the you know Bobby the Brain Heenan of the modern era. Like she is the main. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so did did, did they have Alistair Black and Apollo Crews go twenty seven minutes on Raw exactly <laughs> this month? Yes. What the fuck is okay? Hold and on. And I've heard that this. Ma- right. I heard that that match was really good, which is you know impressive because Apollo Crews is good, but like he's not. 27 minutes good you know what i mean like he's yeah but yeah but like you know like WWE fans like as soon as someone gets to do a long match they love they love them they love them all of a that's sudden true. like buddy murphy yeah that's true that's true but you know either I'm way gonna, i'm gonna have to, I'm gonna um, have to watch I, that yeah give it a give it a watch i mean i i believe in it because i think that apollo cruz has enough stuff he can do enough cool stuff to carry a match like that um and tommy end i think is good enough to make a match like that worthwhile um but i mean yeah like the idea that he can't make his make it to the level that he should be in uh in wwe i i get where you're coming from because it feels like they have kind of stutter start stutter stopped but connections mean everything in in wwe especially man and his wife is the number one fucking heel on the number one show for them right now it might be in a weird time or whatever but i mean shit that can end up working out for him man. that connection could mean something and like she is it like this is I said Bobby Heenan, but, like, it reminds me so much of, like, the Heenan family feuding with fucking Hulk Hogan. Like, that's what she feels like right now. And and I hear a lot of people, and what they're saying makes a ton of sense. She's got three guys who, unfortunately, have been presented as losers so far. Um, and just, like, nothing. But just like Bobby Heenan, like, she can add more people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And as long as she continues to have heat and basically, like, stand out as this mouthpiece, you can fucking cycle people in. In and out. And she can... Eventually, she can be the one who's, like, managing someone who actually is a star. Hell, it could be fucking Tommy End. Like, she could manage Aleister Black to be the guy to take the belt off of Drew McIntyre. Would that be fucking insane? In a Paul Heyman-booked Raw? Probably not. True. It really True. wouldn't. So, so we'll see. I mean, I could definitely still see him breaking out because he's got all the tools in the, in, in the, in the toolbox. Like, just like, uh, just like we see in this match. I mean, like I said, like we both said, like... Even at this time, he was uh, already so polished in pretty much every way. Like, I can't say that in the past, I was going to say 10, but maybe like seven, six or seven years, that I would say Tommy End has gotten any better in ring. You know, because he's always been, to me, very good. 
but he has put together that aura and the charisma and he can talk he can talk better than they give him credit for um so yeah and uh and and to the point about the sumerian death squad i saw tommy and wrestle uh zack saber jr live i saw um i saw tommy and tag with chris hero and every time i would fucking see him at pwg and we would talk the first thing i would always say to him is when's dante coming because I always wanted to see Samari- see Sumerian Death Squad, man. That that, that tag yeah. team just it it was it was special to uh, me. Because if, that we, was if, if we got Aussie Open versus yeah. Sumerian Death Death Squad, <laughs> God damn it, man! I would have loved that so much. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, like no matter where they put him, no matter who he was wrestling, and all the cool stuff that I would see, I always still wanted to see Sumerian Death Squad at least one time, and it'll never happen. But whatever. Follow this up, uh, Ollie Anderson. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie Armstrong. Armstrong, Ollie Armstrong yeah, is coming yeah, out yeah, to yeah. retire. And I have a point about this, right? In, I think I've said before, like watching the uh, Euro wrestling scene and specifically the English scene is like the first time I ever felt like comfortable, like watching a wrestling product. Like I felt like I was a part of it. Like I felt like I was integrated in it. Like you felt like you were part of some, some part of like part of something like bigger than yourself like watching it like you like you felt like you were part of like sort of family here and this ali armstrong retirement and send-off is a big part of it it's like is a perfect example of this because ali armstrong is not a big star ali armstrong had never done anything of note in progress he's a student worked his way through the pro joe and from, from what i remember of ali he was he was good he had potential to be something but you know he just he just he just couldn't he just couldn't move on with his uh with his, with his wrestling ambitions, but the see that the ovation that Ali Armstrong got and like how genuinely emotional Glenn Joseph was to go out there and talk so passionately about Ali, like that shows you why progress meant so much to so many people is because it was like so honest with his emotions in a way that so many promotions weren't, and that like you could get invested in because everything about the about it felt like so real. Yeah, no, exactly. You felt like, even though you weren't there, you were a part of it just from watching it. And yeah, exactly. Like they, uh, they didn't, uh, they didn't shy away from peeling back the curtain, even with the stuff that I talked about earlier with like with uh, with Jim, like early on. And they and they made it clear from the beginning. It was like, you know, these are three, you know, the three mates, which became like a fucking meme, and it was really easy for me as a cynical person to like mock it. You know, oh, we're just three mates. We're just three mates because that's what it turned into. But it felt real in the beginning. I think it was. And it still was real. Like, again, like, we're, we're, yeah. we're, cynic, we're cynical assholes. So, of course, like, naturally, as time goes on and we get more and more, more and more annoyed with things, like, now we're going to point it out and laugh at it or whatever. But, like, there really was three dudes who had never been involved in wrestling going out there and, like, making a company that now was drawing a thousand plus people every, a thousand plus people every weekend. Like, like that, like that, really is what happened, and yeah, no, I, th- I think that's why, like, even if that likability eventually went away and got turned into like a this this big this big meme and everyone making fun of them, like that stuff really was real. That aura was real, and like it felt so like legitimate. They're like, yeah, like it. That's what that's why progress as the fan base it does. That's why progress still has this like cult like fan base is because people really felt like they were a part of it, like. There's a reason why people did were doing like entire progress rewatch like rewatch podcasts, and it's because progress really felt like this 
experience of getting to, of getting to like you know like really be a part of something, and you can't say that from many other wrestling promotions that have existed in the, in the last like twenty years. No, yeah, it's it's definitely true, and I think that the reason why it's easy to mock and 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 do that is because it because it felt like it turned, and for me especially, it felt like I went from I'm in with this, I'm bought in, I believe you guys, punk rock pro rest, you know, British strong style, the whole thing. And then it was like, it went from, and I remember it exactly as I remember Jim Smallman and it was on, um, you know, Tuesday night jaw. And it was like, I remember him, how much he would talk about how much he loved new Japan constantly. Oh, I love you know what they're doing, blah, blah. And then I remember hearing him on Tuesday night jaw. And I did not listen to that podcast regularly, but I do remember specifically one time when he mentioned like, well, I haven't watched any wrestling that wasn't WWE for at least like three months or something. And I was just like, he's fucking gone. You know, the guy who would constantly talk about New Japan and how he loved that wrestling is now talking about how much he loves WWE. And that was when the product was changing. And yeah. again, it went, it felt like punk rock pro rest was just a fucking gimmick and it wasn't real anymore. And that became like the thing that you mock and the three mates became the thing that you mock. And it was like, yeah, fuck you, dude. Like, you completely... You're just not the same. And and I wouldn't have been upset and I wouldn't have gotten the way that I did about it if it wasn't for the fact that I was bought in. And it wasn't even that I was bought in and I felt like I was tricked. It was that I felt like, like they changed. And they believed it. And maybe I was wrong from the beginning, but I felt like they had believed it and they gave up. And they gave up on me, is the way I felt. It wasn't just that they gave up on their business and what they were doing, but they gave up on me as a fan of what they were doing and they didn't believe that I would be there for them enough and I would support them enough and they needed to try to convince other people to show up and now get them to like it by making something that was not for me anymore. You know what I mean? And that was kind of the that was kind of the impetus for what, like why I want to mock them because it's almost like protecting myself from not being vulnerable. It's a lot easier to to make fun of them for you know selling out or whatever. Make fun of, for me yeah, to make fun like, of yourself. Make fun of yourself for being a global idiot. Like, yeah, for falling for it or just admit that like I fucking cared and you guys kind of hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's really what happened. You know, it's, I wonder if, I wonder if that's like a, like a like a like if like a like a chicken before the egg kind of thing where maybe that's always what progress was, or maybe there was a change and like again like like who like who really knows? And I think and I think like that's always going to be a thing to like. As long as for, like, for, pe- for people like us, that's always, we're, we're going to think about that. So until we get some sort of podcast uh, retrospective from someone like Glenn or Jim or Briley or whatever, like that's always gonna, that's always going to bother us. It's like, did we change? Did the times change? Did they give up? Did they give up on their values and their morals? Were that like were they always sort of like posers and we just let them in because they had because they were just different than everybody? Like, who knows? But I think that. That's gonna be like a thing for like for people like me and you that were really like invested in watching. That's gonna that's gonna bother us for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and it's like did, again all the options that you're saying. Was it like did they know that if they didn't, you know, they would be destroyed if they didn't just go with it? You know what I mean? Like, is that kind of the thing? Because it feels like they just like as soon as WWE showed up, they just marked out for them. But that doesn't make sense based on the way that they acted early on and the way that they talked. Like I said, like the fact that. Jim went from being like, I stayed up until, you know, whenever, 2 a.m. retarded time in the morning to watch Wrestle Kingdom Live to I haven't watched any non-WWE wrestling in months 
like just feels like you got to a point where it was an inevitability where it was like okay well WWE is coming they're going to destroy the British wrestling scene they're offering to just have us be part of them we can keep this thing alive at least in some way or we can just let them kill us and they chose to like keep it alive in some way like that you know what I mean like is that what happened I don't know I can't say but it feels really weird to think that they would choose that because they were doing fine I don't think that progress was hurting right they were selling out big venues they were doing really well if anything progress's business went down when they joined up with WWE it didn't go up so who fucking knows either way Ollie Armstrong retires from wrestling here <laughs> and they use this angle to get more heat on a guy who definitely doesn't need more heat in Nathan Cruz um, who now is the fucking biggest baby face in the world have you have you seen any of the recent Nathan Cruz stuff um, where it's like him calling out Pete and Mark Andrews for being corporate sellout wrestlers and he's the real defend indie wrestling guy kind of he's not exactly saying that but it feels that way i've i've not seen that but that is a really good eight-year payoff <laughs> it's amazing that's a really great eight yeah, year payoff it's, it's amazing but nathan cruz is like the guy who's still representing for you know indie wrestling while pete and mark are you know on twitter telling everyone that wwe is your friend um it's just so it's so oh, crazy man <laughs> But we, yeah, we're, we're, I, I know, did. I know the, I know the, I, you know, I think I know the next show I want to do now. Actually, perfect. Yeah, I think I, I, think um, I know the next show I want to do. But um, yeah, like this, like that, now, go, now going into the uh, Amen yeah. Thunder Bastard match. Uh, Elegero, Marty Skrull, Mark Haskins, Eddie Dennis, Rampage Brown, Nathan Cruz, uh, Steve Austin's best friend, Tom Irvin, and <laughs> Damon Moser with black hair. <laughs> yes. Damon Moser Which, uh, looks like looks weird. He looks like yeah. He, he this is purely like family dollar Pete Dunn right here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it's really oh, bad. Man. <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah. No. That's a that's the best possible description. And so getting back into this, looking into things, made me realize that the faceless, which included Damon Moser were the second progress tag team champions which seems insane they were yeah right they were but they were the second tag like it doesn't make any sense like i know that fsu had the titles for a while but it's like it's weird to think the company had been around for a, a long time it felt like already before the faceless won the the tag team titles so it was like Again, what the okay, fuck? We, we just didn't have tag champions tag champions at that point though until like, yeah, until we like hadn't had tag team. Yeah, they they didn't have tag team champions for a long time. I mean, but at, it's so funny to say a long time. They, they got the first tag team champions on the twelfth chapter, so twelve shows without tag team champions feels like a long yeah, time. No, you know? no, but but what it was though is like you remember like Progress didn't run that often at that point, so that's why you remember it. That's why it felt so long without tag champions because what those twelve shows wound up going for what like two years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so so the Faceless were the second tag team champions, which included Damon Moser. And at this point, he had just kind of unmasked because the, the Faceless turned into the origin. That was really a great angle, honestly, where, like... Wait, wait, you're, wait, the, wait, hold on, hold on. You're, you're, a, you're a Faceless truther? What do you mean? Like, the the one angle where everyone in progress no, 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 collectively no. agrees that it was a terrible idea? 
Uh, no, I'm not saying that the faceless was a great angle. I'm saying that the great angle was when the origin just took the tag team titles from the face. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. And said like, we're the tag team champions now. And then Damon. Oh, uh, okay, okay, all right. Garnett, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah, and Garnett and Moser are like, fuck you. We, Danny Garnell and Moser are like, fuck you. We won the tag team titles. Like, you're not the tag team champions. We. That I thought that that okay, that, all right. that part of the angle was great. Okay. The faceless angle was dog shit. I'm about to say, about to say yeah. well, what are we doing here? Yeah, yeah, but they 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 saved it really well. Like they they really did because that that and then transitioning into the origin, like the origin was some prime progress shit, man. I mean that origin time, dude, they were so fucking good. Like I remember how much, and this is like you know looking back on it and just saying like how good of heels they were i remember how fucking pissed off i got when because that song would play (laughs) three or four times per fucking show and i was just like god fucking damn it this fucking song again turn the page was like the bane of my existence because like fuck every progress show they would play that song at least three times you know you know what it is you guys guys should get me back to my point that i forgot earlier on in the show yes um I I think my pick for most underrated match in progress history is the origin versus Zack and Ciampa. <laughs> yes. Like, that is a really fucking good match. Yes. The origin were so good, and I think that the origin might be one of those things that, like, if people do retrospectives in years, they'll look back on this and be like, that was actually some of the best shit in the history of wrestling. Like, Nathan Cruz, I think, is underrated, all-time underrated. For just how good he really is, and then, and then, um, and then Legaro was just solid as fuck, and then like heel Mastiff yeah. was funny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, like it was, it was so, it was so much fucking fun. Like, and again, like it was fun now looking back on it, but like at the time, oh like, it was yeah, we so just pissed off. Every, yeah, every hated everyone it. hated the origin at that point. Oh my fucking god, these guys! But if you look back on it and you're not caught up in it in the moment, it's like this was so good. They were so good. They were carrying these shows. They were such a big part of what, like, made you keep watching these shows. Like, yeah, they were... Again, like, I think that Nathan Cruz will get overlooked... Or will get remembered fondly, I think, when people look back on it as being, like, a guy that was just, like, criminally underrated. And it sucks that, like, all these fucking people get signed and Nathan Cruz still just nothing. But it kind of makes sense, because I don't know if he's, like, a big room guy, honestly. He is, like, a wrestler's wrestler, a small room wrestler. He's just... He's so good at that stuff. Um... Well, another another takeaway here, obviously. Um, Haskins and Skrull. Um, preview to what to preview to what's gonna to what would have been for uh, next year or so. Immediately, those two have really awesome chemistry. And again, like we're, well, this like the entire. I think people forget the origin, like the villain, like the origin of the villain. Like obviously, Marty Marty decided that he wanted this this uh this like this uh, presentation change, this gimmick change, in order to take this next step. But in progress, at least, there was this whole story to it where he just kept losing and losing and losing and losing and losing. And he's still the villain while he's a babyface. And eventually he doesn't turn, he doesn't actually turn heel as a villain until that Chris Travis match. But I think people get lost in the Marty thing and they think that he just like, boom, I'm the villain and I'm a bad, I'm a bad guy now. It's like, there's there yeah. actually a whole build up there and this final two with Haskins where he loses where he loses another Thunder Bastard match and Haskins is like fucking super over molten babyface already and this is like nearly a full year out from when he would from when he would win the title um yeah like 
I think I think people again like when we talk about like people kind of like shitting on Smallman retrospectively, shitting on like progress as a company and everything retrospect retrospectively now. I think pe- I think people kind of forget that like Marty actually did put a lot of thought into how he was going to introduce this villain character. Yeah, he built it up, and and you can see it here with Haskins too. Like Haskins and Marty both here were in the beginning stages of of building up their next level of this of the character and the gimmick that they were becoming because haskins similarly had like kind of a like a a, you know not a party guy but like a fun time the superstar was was it the superstar that was his nickname i think yeah um it might have been shooting star either way i think i think i'm shooting star because of him breaking his head and just just breaking just breaking his whole shit just breaking everything the the, the star the star attraction the star attraction yeah the star attraction which was like kind of a like you know like stereotypical like kind of 70s 80s baby face thing and here he's like starting to tone it down bring it back black tights black boots and then now you look at him and and it almost was so such a seamless transition where it like slowly piece by piece that you like don't even notice when he turns from like oh he's just wearing black trunks to like now he's wearing like full S&M Dom Daddy gear with his like his wife who's yeah, wearing like, yeah, like a, Hask- a ball gag. Yeah, every, like every, everything about Haskins just was so seamless, right? We goes from he yeah. goes from Star Trek to pretty much being like like it's just because like we, we talked about him recently on the last like one of the last couple episodes. Really, kind of like starts like taking on this kind of like almost like like Ben like Benoit esque approach, and then like yeah, and then like yeah, then then he's all, all of a sudden you just like uh him him and, him and Vicky are just like. Full, full, full on uh, BD, BD, BDSM uh, couple yes. outside um, and just making everyone making everyone feel uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. But uh, but yeah, the same thing kind of happened with Scroll, and we see it with starting here. And I remembered, and it just crossed my mind that I remembered this um, because it was before. It was kind of like at the proto when this stuff was starting, where he was becoming the villain, but he wasn't quite the villain yet. That I uh, I said to my younger brother that. Uh, you know, Marty Scroll. He was gonna do like the the Richard Morton thing. He was gonna go from Ricky Morton to Richard Morton, and he was going to be <laughs> Parton Martin. He was going to do the the full versions of his name instead of Party Marty. He was Parton Martin, um, but that obviously never happened, and he became the villain. But uh, but yeah, it was like he was laying the groundwork, and I remember when it was like this this time period, and you're like, oh yeah, like you know this. Marty is like you know he's just Marty Scroll, and then as he becomes the villain, you're like, is he a really a villain? But then like yeah. over time, the, he becomes the, yeah, then, he becomes <laughs> the Penguin. Yeah, like that, like that's ah uh, Marty. Like is and and that's why it's like it's like it's so hard to defend certain people, right? It's because like we watched it, we know, we saw, we saw that Marty really didn't come out there and just start doing bullshit, and eventually he was like, oh, Marty Scroll's over now. It really was like. Marty put in so much good work and good effort to like build his heel turn, and then when it finally happens, like he's the most hated person in the company. And then like not soon after this, you get fucking um Marty Marty in um his video his videos when he beat and then when he beats Will Osprey when he's uh does the Thunder Bastard and he's doing commentary for most of the match and then hops in at the end. Like Marty goes on this incredible run. And I just hate that it's gonna that it's gonna get forgotten now because it then turned into Marty flapping his arms and being a fucking penguin. Right, exactly. But yeah, I mean, when he, as he was building it up and like that first, the first big uh, match with Osprey and Rev Pro, and like when he's putting the again putting the the groundwork together for the character, it was like done super well and it was really good. Fuck, he had those good matches with Chris Hero, like. 
<sighs> and that stuff all gets overlooked just to like yeah kind of laugh at him and okay so was the next thunder bastard after this like kind of quick or was it later on where they did that because i remember that they were doing like thunder bastards once a year it was the, the next the next thunder bastard after that is like chapter 20 uh like seven or something like like it's, 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 it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty quick turnaround from that from that from that point yeah on. they like they rush to the next one and then it's to be fair that's like that's the best one actually to be fair that's the best one yeah exactly but it felt like it was like okay you guys are kind of like you know just rushing this gimmick because it's over and you're kind of losing what makes it special but it was actually pretty good yeah i'm trying, I'm um, trying to see which one it was um the lost art of suffering i think i think that's what it was yeah uh it was marty versus eddie dennis mark andrews mark haskins morgan webster uh Paul Robinson, Rampage, Will Ospreay, Zach Gibson. That was a great. That's yes. a great fucking match. And it, yeah, and it was big. It was nine men. Yeah, Zach, like yeah, than Zach, Gip, Zach Gibson goes on this big run. Yes, and that was a, a lot of fun. yeah. That match kicked out, and that match really felt like. But again, that like felt like they were at the point where they were they were treating it more like something like the more WWE style, where you do Hell in a Cell on the pay per view. That's called that just to make it a thing or whatever, instead of like actually. Like letting the gimmick stay special. Um, um, on the same show was that was also uh, the Origin versus Champa and Zack match that we talked about earlier, and yes. also uh, Jack Gallagher versus Johnny Kidd. Okay, so I mean that's, that's a that's a good that's a good show. I don't know if that was the show that you were teasing that we were going to watch, but it feels like uh, it would be a good show to watch for sure because it's got a bunch of stuff on there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so. I don't remember what the fuck we're talking about. Oh yeah, like the Marty doing commentary throughout the entire Thunder Bastard, putting the characters together, and just yeah, like how how really good he was. But unfortunately, like stuff starts to get overshadowed by things falling apart. Also, somewhere in the middle of the Sumerian Death Squad match, did you notice that the camera balances all through like changed? Yeah. On this show, like before that the white balance on each camera was matched but then after like somewhere in the middle of that match it switched and then all the cameras white balances were different for, 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 the, rest, really... for the rest of the show after that yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. for the rest of the show that shit drives me crazy man i just it's so fucking jarring to see the, the the colors completely change on the screen i don't mind like a single cam shot show but when when you do the like multi-cam but the balance isn't the same it fucking it throws me off a lot um but, uh, but yeah, Haskins gets the big win here. He looks like a million fucking bucks. The post-match promo was awesome. Yeah, like this, and this just... is exactly why it's so fucking weird that the Haskins promo outside, where he's calling Trent Seven a bitch and calling him a pussy, yeah. like, that that became, like, such, like, this, like, and, and granted, it's a funny video, like, sure, but, like, sure. But it's so funny that that became, like, this big thing when, like, that's the kind of ha- that's the kind of promos that Haskins was already cutting. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, who doesn't love someone calling someone a six second bitch, right? Like that's fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, you completely overlook like the quality work that he was doing just for the meme thing, and like that's fine. But but what sucks is like we come out of that, and I'm just like, you know, I I didn't remember because I'm so thrown off. I was telling you like this time period is almost like a blur to me, to where I'm like I hadn't watched it yet, but I'm like pretty sure we're watching this show because osprey wins the title <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. and i'm just like the idea that haskins is cutting a promo post-match saying i don't care who wins i'm challenging them on the next show and i'm like 
I don't think Osprey loses the title on the next show, but it felt like Haskins needs to win the belt. No, that, like, like he's so I, fucking over. That's what I kind of want to do. Chapter twenty one, because okay, if because this like, and I'm going to talk about when we get to Havoc versus Osprey a little bit. But like, if you go back and just like listen to the crowd during Haskins and Osprey, remember Osprey just vanquished fucking Jimmy Havoc, the like the, the show before, and like that crowd is like nearly fifty fifty for Haskins. Yeah, it was feeling like it was time for Haskins, and this was this got mentioned because I remember this at least. I don't remember if it was last night, but I think you said it was. But the talk about like the progress at this time and the watching it and, and in the Slack chat and all that stuff is like at this time. I think that Haskins was probably my favorite wrestler. I think you were saying the yeah. same kind of thing. Like he was, he was definitely my favorite wrestler to watch. And I may, I wouldn't have said he was like the the best wrestler, but I mean, everything he did landed. Everything he did looked so fucking good. He was bringing like this believability, sniff, stiffness, aggression to his matches. I mean, the guy. You know, I've seen him up close and personal. The guy is like five foot nothing, but he brings the aggression of like a fucking unbeatable yeah, monster uh, to every match. See, like seeing, seeing Haskins live uh, for the first time myself this year, yeah, I guess I guess I can say the same thing. Like Haskins, like lives up to all the hype live. Yeah, he's phenomenal, and I think at this point I hadn't even seen him live yet, but eventually I did see him have this phenomenal, you know, PWG Bola run. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, I mean that's an all timer, really. The guy is, and that was at the peak of his power. Like PWG was really cool in a lot of ways, but I do think that they kind of get this like rosy, rose-colored glasses, glass half full thing where people like talk about as if like all they ever did was bring in people and make them into stars and give them a chance, but. There, by that point when Haskins came in, like they were mostly bringing in people who were already like, if not past their peak, were like just like at the tail end of their peak. But Haskins came in there to, he, to bowl he that just, year. He just he tore was, that shit down. <laughs> yeah, he was completely at the peak of his powers. He was fucking amazing, and like he had nothing but phenomenal showings that weekend. Like it was, yeah, it was it was fucking crazy. So to see that and to see. So many people there who had never heard of this guy, and to see them get behind him and be like, "What the fuck!" Like, I think I don't remember if it was the last match in the tournament, but uh, the match with Kyle O'Reilly. At that point, Kyle had already been champion and was like a big fucking deal. Oh, then then, then, then uh, might have been in the first round. Yeah, and the crowd was just like, "We fucking love this guy!" <laughs> like they were so into him over over Kyle, and Kyle had been the PWG boy for so long the crowd had just completely jumped ship and were like really into Haskins so yeah I mean it was so good to see him there and, and he definitely lives up to it like you said even seeing him just recently this year I haven't seen him live in a while but like the guy just intensity aggression comparing him to Chris Benoit is so, so spot on and I, I had never even really thought of that but it's true like a guy who's just so fucking crisp and aggressive and violent and just Nasty, and he's just—it's like it's like it's like no one no one no one will probably wouldn't want to admit it now, but I there's there, but there's no way that wasn't a big influence on him, for sure, right? Yeah, just watching the the again all the things I just said, like all of that stuff, it's like there's only a handful of guys who come across that way, and and one of the main ones is Chris Benoit. Um, I guess we can get on to the main the main the main the, event. Ma- the main event the uh, lasting image and memory from from chapter twenty, um. Something I didn't mention when I went through my little rundown of uh, giving a time frame for this show. This is the 10th Electric Ballroom show, and this is very much the house that Jimmy Havoc built. 
and um, I think they're going. This is this is getting close to to a thousand days as, as a champion. Um, and I'm, I'm I guess like one thing we gotta add. We got, one thing we gotta talk about here. How well did the Jimmy Havoc character character age from the videos, the entrances, the attempted murders? Now we're now that we're a few years removed from Jimmy Havoc at his uh, peak as a character. How well do you think that stuff ages? And do you think then do you kind of like feel like silly at all buying into like the Jimmy Havoc uh, the Jimmy Havoc uh, heel heel run? You know. For the longest time, I was kind of like, what the fuck were we thinking? And I was in the, like, Jimmy Havoc is Tommy Dreamer. Jimmy Havoc is Public Enemy. You know, I guess I guess uh, London Riots are Public Enemy. Jimmy Havoc is Tommy Dreamer or Sandman, I guess would be the closer comparison, right? This guy who had this niche audience in this small room that created this character and this aura that you look back on it and it's kind of embarrassing and whatever. I kind of was into that and I kind of was like, yeah, that's the situation. The pre-match video completely like flipped my remembrance of everything and like really put me back in that place. Yeah. Like that, not just yeah, for that, having, yeah, that, that's yeah. the exact same uh, the moment I had to, but go on. Yeah. Not even just havoc. But also Osprey. Well, it was a little bit different. My realization watching the pre-match stuff with Osprey was like... All of this talk about the, you know... Was it not inevitable, but the undeniable 2019 Wrestler of the Year, Will Osprey. Watching that pre-match promo video for this, I'm like... He was that good here. (laughs) You know, and, and of course, it's like edited. It's edited, but it's like... No, actually, Osprey was fucking great already at this point. And I think me and you both had said that before. And I think that I had lost a little bit of my fervor for him for a couple years Yeah, there. I, I know in, like, 2016, 2017, that you were just... Because of the stuff on Twitter and everything, which, like, again, like, valid reasons, because it was, like, serious stuff, like, um... You know, like, denying, like, you know, just being, like, completely against his, uh friends rape allegations and everything and everything that was going on with Pollyanna and just like constant dumb shit that he was getting into but I was still I was still constantly having Osprey pretty high on my wrestler of the year stuff but you yeah, but yeah. you were just done with the which, dude at some points which is very fair and I was I was just kind of bored with what he could do but I remember early, I remember the the first progress match with the him tagging with the the other guys the velocity Vap, uh, vipers where I was like I remember saying like the there's something about the crispness that he delivers high flying moves that's that's not I've never seen before. He's just got like an ability that that comes across so effortless and so smooth and just he's he's a next I remember saying it at the time, he's a next level flyer. He's like he's a high flyer that stands above everyone else and then there was a time period with like the ricochet stuff where i'm like okay ricochet is in his league and actually maybe a little bit better in some other ways but ricochet can definitely fly the same way that osprey can but looking back on this and putting it all together it's like sure like obviously osprey is like from the ar fox school of facial selling where you just open your mouth super wide and and your eyes bug out of your head as big as they can 
Um, and like, he's not like at the complete depth of like the nuanced levels that he becomes later on here when it comes to selling and everything. But when it comes to like physicality, execution, the things that he can do, even at this point, even, even just like just even, even, the- even just his fire, like his fire is like yeah, so genuine. When like he starts like shaking on the ground, like and the crowd's like feeling like him getting ready to go for the six thirty, like it's so genuine feeling. Right. Yeah. And at this point, it's just like. Yeah, this guy is already... I think even at this point, he's already... Should be in the conversation for greatest wrestler alive at this time. And I think that people were completely overlooking him. I will... I've said it multiple times, and I'll say it again. I think to this point, to this day, I think I was 100% proven right that I had him on my greatest wrestler ever ballot. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think... Yeah, the, that, that, one, that one did not age poorly at all. Yeah, I think that... I don't think that people are going to argue with me about that now, but at the time, people were like, what the fuck are you thinking? But I think it's true. Like, And I remember saying it from the first time I saw him. I'm like, this guy is special. He can do things that I've never seen before. And he continues to do that. And now all he's done is get better by adding more to his game. But it's just like, even at this time, if he had stayed like this, I think he would still be in the conversation for like, how the fuck is this guy so good? There's certain things that he can do that nobody else can do. But now it's like it's not just a stunt show. Like nowadays, he's actually like a, a well-rounded wrestler. But that said, I mean the promo video got me into it, where I'm like, no, Jimmy Havoc fucking rules. <laughs> like I actually remember why I liked him so much. And up until this point, he had had a bunch of great matches yeah, in progress. Yeah, that, he that, had that's had, what gets lost yeah. too. His matches were good. Like yes. if you want to go through the first like twenty like twenty one chapters of progress. I guarantee you, most of Jimmy Havoc's matches are really good. Yeah, before the heel turn, he was having phenomenal matches as a babyface. The and, John the John Ryan know, match, even like even that for that first uh, like the, the, like that first run stuff, and then even even the latter match with Mark Andrews is super good. Yeah, like he had the Noam Dar match that I mentioned. Like the fin- he the, had the, a lot of the really Prince Devin match, like is like yeah. super forgotten, but like that's Zach- good. <laughs> He had a good match with Zach early on there. Like, he had so many good matches. I mean, obviously, you know, saying you had a good match with Zack Sabre Jr. doesn't mean much, even at that even at that point in 2012 or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy was having great matches up until this point. He puts together this really interesting character that, like, you can laugh at and say is cringe or whatever in whatever way. But, I mean, he was really committed to the character. And there's not a lot of people who, who can take something like that and just unflinchingly commit to something that could be considered very goofy by a lot of people. And he did not waver in being the king of the goths. You know what I mean? He was the the regression, evil, bad guy villain doing like murder and, and all this. And, and not only that, it's, and like, it was, it's like if you look at Jimmy Havoc, right? I'm not like, I'm not someone to like judge someone based on their appearances, right? But like even like the Jimmy Havoc we got where like dude just getting up there and like Pushing people, getting getting in people's faces, and all that kind of shit. Like, for a guy that doesn't look all like like the, 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 that would be him in, in normal everyday life. Boy, did he fucking commit to do it to doing that when he was that when he was out there performing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And he and he comes out here, um, in this match, and he's got the face painted red, and he's wearing the black and and red gear. And it's that was one thing that I was gonna mention, but maybe I'll save that talking point. Um, for after kind of get into the Osprey thing that I was talking about earlier, which is that like the natural progression series, it felt like Osprey was kind of an afterthought. The first natural progression series that Mark Andrews wins. 
and he becomes the guy that Mark Andrews brings back um, to be in the second Natural Progression series, which you could say felt like it was setting the table from the beginning, right? But it also felt like he was the he was the you know the bridesmaid. Mark Andrews was the guy. Mark Andrews wins. Mark Andrews wins the title and gets fucked out of the title by Jimmy Havoc when he's got his three wishes or whatever. It's basically kind of like the homicide CZW feud thing, um, which is like he, you know, what he wants, what he demands because progress owes him. Is that or, he wants, or, he will, or he will literally murder Mark Andrews. Yes, he wants a match right now against Mark Andrews. And not only that, but he wants Jim Smallman to be the referee. So Jim Smallman has to count the pin um, as he, you know, fucks over the person who just won that or, tournament or he and will, just won the title. Or he will light Mark Andrews on fire. <laughs> on fire. Yes. Um, and it felt like Osprey was, like, such a ancillary part of the story. And then you go from there to Osprey is in the tag team match on Unbelievable Jeff. Um multi-team match great, where his tag team partner match. <laughs> turns on him in uh, Paul Robinson, the Swords of Essex break up and Paul Robinson becomes the disciple to Jimmy Havoc and the evil champion and it's like, again, it feels like it's, 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 Osprey it's still, even with that, it still feels like Osprey wasn't the guy yet still. Yeah, He's just like, he's like an ancillary character to this storyline that's happening. At that time, the important thing was that Paul Robinson was turning on him and joining Havoc. Osprey was not the important part of it. But again, it's like, was Osprey the important part? Was it the story all along? Were they really? Because in some ways it feels like it makes sense. The guy who beats him, the guy who wins the Natural Progression Series and brings him back for the next one is the one that Jimmy Havoc originally fucks over. His tag team partner turns on him to join Jimmy Havoc. And the whole while, Osprey feels like an afterthought, even though it's like, is he not the focus? You know, you know, you know what it is? You know it's like, for as obvious as like you, some people may say it is, it's like, that's a testament to like, to like what was going on at the time. Because we go again, we said like, Noem Dar is there. Mark Haskins is getting, is getting some momentum. So like even with everything that Osprey is doing, it still doesn't feel like Osprey is for sure the guy because there's other people that were there at the time that easily could have like easily could have had claim to that. Exactly. From there, you get into the storyline with Osprey and the high flying injury, and he's afraid to do his top rope moves. All that stuff just feels like. Looking back on it, it's like this was this a way just to endear him to the crowd, as he, you also didn't have to focus on him being interacting with Havoc in any way. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so weird. It's like, he doesn't, he has his own ancillary thing that has nothing to do with the world title. Well, meanwhile, Jimmy Havoc like looms over the entire company. Jimmy Havoc is the most important thing in the entire company. He's literally the focal point of everything. If Jimmy Havoc's not on screen, everybody should be asking, where's Jimmy Havoc? Um, but Osprey has his own like separate thing that doesn't link to that in any way in that like he's having a fear of heights <laughs> that he's never had before because he injured himself doing a high flying move Not, yeah. and he's slowly getting comfortable you know like get back into like high flying and then eventually he he finds his footing again and is comfortable again and then that's when you start seeing Will Osprey earning title shots and now Will Osprey is getting you know what is he he wins um 
Does he win a Thunder Bastard? He wins a Thunder Bastard. Um, he wins the first one, and I think that's how he, yeah. that's how he gets his first title shot. Right. Um, and then yeah, yeah, and then he wins the, a Thunder Bastard, gets l- his first title, loses. Shot. Um, then I think then he then, then he's enough uh, like a six way, which is a really good six way by the way too. And and like yes. the ending is like. Jimmy Havoc curb stomping Will Ospreay, who's biting the bottom rope, and it looks, God, it looks insane. It, fucking brutal. Yeah, and then that leads into him going and winning the Super Strong Style 16 and having this amazing run that we talked about. Yeah, and then that's where you're like, okay, now it's Ospreay's time. He He's won everything. He's earned two different title shots. He was in the six-way that was, like, meant to be kind of, like, that the six way he couldn't have won because that was like the company was trying to figure out a way to fuck over Jimmy Havoc. You know, like he needed to earn this, and he does by having this amazing run, wins the su- super strong style. Then he comes into this match and basically puts it all on the line. Havoc as overbearing heel is phenomenal here. I mean, we've, you've talked about it. You talked about this, and it it was the first time it ever crossed my mind. But he's like this overpowered like create a wrestler who you put all of the top moves on and you max out all of his skills to the top like that's really what he is but he does it to a t here really well against like a young a young wrestler who maybe not the best seller that he becomes he's not even like at the peak of like how great he is at selling now but like the crowd gets into him and the crowd loves him and like they really they want will osprey to win here you know what i mean uh, even the kind of botched superplex spot that is so good that I almost don't even know if it's a botch. Like that, that spot. I remember at the time, like debating it even then, like, I don't know. That seems so legitimate that I'm like, I don't even know. Like it made so much sense that Osprey couldn't even, you know, completely get up there and they just fell through the table. Like it was just such a cool spot. The, the, like, the, the double, the, the double stomp, uh, hanging from the, hanging from the, uh, apron down to the, the down through the table to the floor. Like, Havoc just goes nuts and, like, nearly, nearly kills Osprey on that. Yes. This match just has so many brutal spots. It has, again, like, a young wrestler who's not the best seller that he becomes, but he's, yeah, a very good seller at the time going up against this just, like, monster who just kills him the whole way through. Jimmy's, Jimmy, Jimmy's, a, Jimmy's a really good base, too, which is, like, one of the things that Jimmy doesn't get credit for. And I first noticed that when he, uh, when he had the match with Jigsaw uh, is that Jimmy's a really good base. And yes, like it's, like, it, like it, it makes so much sense why him and Will wound up being so good together is because like there's not there's not a lot of people that took Will's offense as good as Jimmy Havoc did. Yeah, especially at this time, not a lot of people were like putting the the effort into like trying to make Osprey look this good, right? You know, and especially because this was at the time where Havoc was running the school, Havoc was really invested in progress, and Havoc was was definitely all about making this work and he does a great job of of making osprey look like a million bucks here um havoc just destroys multiple referees to the point where we get to there's only one official left in the building who can call count the pinfall right and uh jim smallman has to get into the ring and again we talked about that charisma and that likability from jim smallman but like it's on display here and the story is coming full circle is is smallman gonna have to once again call the you know count the three count for Jimmy Havoc just completely fucking this company over repeatedly like phenomenal stuff I mean I feel like I've been rambling for a while Quentin you got any stuff you want to hit on no you you, you hit the nail on everything it's like it's a perfect combination of all this stuff it's 
is over the top and a lot of and a lot going on. Yeah, like there's three uh, kickouts of Jimmy Havoc's Rainmaker, but like it fits. It's Will Osprey. Like he's finally here. You can't stop him now. He's gone through every hurdle, every obstacle. He cannot be stopped on this day. And so, like to me, like that's like that's when stuff that's when stuff like that is fine. Like when like it's just so much like to like on this day, like this person can just not be stopped. I think it's I think it's a really good storytelling device. Um, there's like smatterings of people cheering for Jimmy Havoc in this, which I remember I remember noticing a couple of years ago when I watched this when I watched this back. But even it's it's still like pretty present there now. But like it gets overtaken by like Osprey and his passion and like Osprey. In his fiery moments, when he's so unsure of himself on the top rope, and he wound up just doing like a shooting, a shooting star press instead of the six thirty, when he hits the SX destroyer and then goes like and, and then he looks back up and then heads back up for that six thirty, and the crowd is roaring, and he hits it, and just the reaction, like the sustained reaction for like four minutes after Osprey wins, it's still some of the best shit you'll see anywhere, and yeah. I think now it's like I kind of just appreciate him more, more now. I think is that like in in some ways you kind of like take like how like like I, like, like that early babyface Osprey for granted because I think he's like gotten so good now and like has like has like such a command like has such like a commanding presence now. But like that early boyish charm, like twenty two year old Osprey with the with the, with the with the big with the big bright, uh, bright blue eyes like for, like figuring his way out through the world like that wasn't that was an endearing time and I think that even if I like the chapter te- the chapter seventeen match more personally between Havoc and Osprey just from like a purely in rank perspective like the chapter twenty is a real moment and that's why I decided that this is one of the this one of the shows we had to do because the end of Jimmy had the end of Jimmy Havoc's reign. Not the, not the end of the of the Jimmy Havoc run because that's what I, that's how I was at chapter twenty one. Jim Smallman gets a semblance of payback. Will Ospreay is the guy, and it's really like the first big moment that we have in the English in, in, in the English boom. I think. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about because to me this felt like this was. I've been into British wrestling for a while. I've been into you know the UK wrestling scene for a bit here. I'm getting excited because. More and more of these guys are showing up in PWG. I'm getting to see them live, all that stuff. But in a lot of ways, like this match is the kickoff to what the UK wrestling scene becomes. Like this is like the start of the UK wrestling scene for a lot of people. Um, and for me, it was like this was where I was like, okay, like I've been into the UK wrestling scene for a bit. So you know, I'm not trying to like brag or be weird or whatever, but it's just it's it from the context, it's like kind of interesting to think about that. But you talk about this early babyface Osprey putting it together, run, and it's it obviously stood out to me a lot, and that's why I had the guy in my you know greatest wrestler ever thing. Um, but like it's like there's the stuff that sticks out in my mind. There's the when he does get announced by Mark ha- uh, Andrews to be the the person that he chooses to return to Natural Progression Series. I remember his face, his reaction. He kicks the bottom rope. He's wearing this coat that looks silly. He's Dude, wearing a baseball Ospre- hat that look, looks silly. Osprey, uh, it it really was. Uh, it's really entirely just based off Twitter. But like, dude, that Osprey was so fucking likable, man. Like. Like, yeah. you, just go, you just go through all of it. He's, he's the most likable dude in the world. If you only saw 
the on-screen stuff, I think he would be one of the greatest baby faces of all time. Yeah, totally. But yeah, 100%, like said, 100% because there's the, yeah, because there's the outside and and the social media stuff, it kind of ruins some of it. But yeah, if that was all you saw was what he presented, he'd be like one of the greatest baby faces of all time. Even 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 remember, even in New Japan, if you just like go through his entire New Japan run, and you just which is gonna like it's gonna happen one day when I whenever I go back and like rewatch like some like like the twenty ten New Japan run, like. Well, if you go back and rewatch that, and you just go without like thinking of Twitter. Like, if you just even if you just do New Japan and you go through his uh, matches with Kushida, um, and when when he finally when he finally wins the junior title and he finally gets to have like a run with the belt, like he like, he really is like the like he would be all time great babyface. You're not wrong there. Yeah, exactly. It, he really is. Holy shit! I did not know that uh, Tom Dawkins. Uh, Car Noir is a, a Lucha Britannia guy. You didn't. Know, um, I just saw. Dude, yeah. like, that's what I've been. Tra- that's been my entire thing with Car Noir this whole time. I don't think people realize how long he's been around. Yeah. Like I knew that. I remember Tom Dawkins. He's like, he, like he's realize, like, he's yeah. an Osprey guy. Like yeah. through and through. Like when I first heard of him, it was because of Osprey, and that was years ago. Yeah, the, 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 the car do the car do like Lucha Forever. I, know, I remember him in like Rev Pro like years back. But I don't remember. I don't remember if he, if he did Lucha Forever. He probably did. Um, I actually have all those Lucha Forever shows on my computer that I'm going to go back and go through and watch. Um, but uh, yeah, like Osprey topped. Oh fuck, he was on a bunch of Lucha yeah, Forever shows. Yeah, that's like, like, dude, yeah. like we like we knew Car for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, Osprey, one of the all-time baby faces from the beginning of his story until now. Again, it's like the only thing that fucks him over is is just outside of the. Oh uh, man, if he if he just if he just didn't tweet. <laughs> yeah, if he. But uh, okay, so here was the the thing that I thought about earlier and I didn't finish up with is is talking about Havoc coming out here. He's got the the red face paint, the black shirt, and the red pants. Did you think it was weird that Havoc didn't? didn't juice for this match like this is a big match mm. they did a lot of gimmicks yeah that... and there was no there was no blood was that did that make sense especially at this time i mean havoc had bled buckets up until this point and this was a big fucking match and we talked about him trying to put over osprey a bunch but there was no blood i guess the only thing i can think of here is that osprey was osprey wasn't comfortable with it because even if you go back and like watch their their matches after this like the uh loser leaves town and their eventual like big last match before uh before Wembley um there still is like like when like when Osprey bleeds in it it's like fake blood I think I'm not sure I don't think I don't think Havocs was fake but I think I think Osprey just might not might not have been comfortable comfortable with blood by that point which I think if you just if you just look at their like history afterwards I think that checks out yeah I guess that makes sense I mean does Osprey have you I'm trying to think if I can think of any Osprey blade jobs. He's never really. bladed. Every time, every time he's been in a, in a match with um, Havoc, he's, it's always it's always been capsules. Yeah, and he's if he bleeds anywhere else, it's like on accident. It's actually, like when, like like when he when, when he was bleeding versus Marty when he almost killed himself. That was uh that like that was accidental. So I think Osprey just yeah. is not is not he's not a blader. So I think a 22 year old Osprey would probably just like like just like uncomfortable with it. I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, even that that crazy death match that he did with with Havoc. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he like he like he didn't bleed. Oh, uh huh. 
All right, I guess I guess Osprey's just not a blood guy. That's interesting. Yeah, because I thought about that when he when I saw him come out and he was wearing the and he had that red face paint and he was wearing all dark gear because I you know you know when a, when Havoc's gonna bleed he's he's smart he does the lucha yeah, thing he, where he, he wears he all could, white. He, could, he did it on the next show, which is why it's so weird. Yeah. yeah, he wears all white and he bleeds buckets and he loves to, but like yeah, it was weird because it was like this was a big match. You would think he would bleed, but I guess it's probably the Osprey thing. Um. Osprey not being comfortable with it. That's that's a weird one to think about. Um, well, okay, so coming out of this, I mean, Osprey wins. Like I said, it felt like it felt like everything made sense and the storyline was was told like Osprey was the guy, but it was done almost so like under the radar that uh, that I it felt like Osprey was the afterthought. What did you think? Kind of coming out of it. Um, uh, or what did you think about, uh, about that concept? Like Osprey winning, coming out of it, moving forward. Like, do you think it was put together intentionally? Do you think it was like a happy accident that Osprey was always there? Like from the beginning of progress, was Osprey the guy to win the championship? You talked about kind of the um, the the crowd turning a little bit and kind of being on the side of uh, of Havoc. Like I remember at the time, even thinking like before the match was happening, like oh, I think Havoc has a little bit longer on this run but osprey has to win at this point and then with the crowd kind of starting to turn him it was like kind of the perfect time to get the belt off of him because he wasn't going to be able to continue being that heel like, but, but then like you yeah, look, what do you think about all that yeah and then it's like if you go to if you go to go to just like one show later like osprey who just vanquished jimmy havoc is in a 50 is in a 50 50 split with mark haskins so to me like even even with Osprey having this big defining moment up to this point in his career, and which is why like even though Osprey like had like a somewhat of a long run, because he still he held this from uh, July up until uh, I believe uh, January of uh, 20, of twenty sixteen. So even though he has somewhat of a long run, like he need has like really good matches. That Osprey run is awesome, going from a. Uh, this Jimmy match to Haskins to Robbo to um, Mark Andrews to the triple threat with uh, Flash and Gibson. It's a really good run, but for me, it's still, like even though Osprey like was the guy that should win, he almost like still felt transitional because like progress is such a heel fed that like even ba- even by then you're kind of like waiting for that like that next like looming dark cloud to come over. And by then, you already have stuff established. You already have Mark Haskins here as a guy that people want, and then Marty Scarl is like on the horizon. So like, even with Osprey having this big triumphant moment, in my head at the time, I felt this way: is that like, well, like Marty Scarl is still kind of around, and they're clearly doing something with this guy. And I don't know what it is, but Marty Scarl has something going on. Mark Haskins is getting more popular by the minute. So, even though Osprey got to have this, like, fun run for six months, it still feels like that's one of the more forgotten progress reigns, because that just leads into in what? Marty Skrull, and Marty Skrull's, and Marty Skrull's defining, defining run. And then what after that? Mark Haskins has his big moment. So, even though Osprey is really, like, the first big triumph in progress history, because Mark Andrews beats Rampage, and then... Obviously, like what happens with Havoc after happens immediately after that. So Osprey's the first real triumph, but even then, it feels like his triumph kind of gets lost in like all the big babyface title wins in Progress history, because him because Mark Haskins winning was definitely a bigger moment than Osprey winning, 
And I, th- I think that's kind of like a weird thing to have to look back on. Yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting as, as you talk about that. I mean, I'm looking through, and they've had so few champions really for a company that's existed for almost ten years at this point. Eight years. They've had fifteen champions. That's pretty. That's a handful when it comes to how much cha- titles change nowadays. Um, especially when you think about how many of those are like a couple of them are like fluky champions with Andrews having it for like a couple minutes, William Ever having it for a couple days. Like stuff like that, and then also the fact that they they kind of are in that uh, in that uh, ROH thing where they have very few, they have no two time champions up until this point, um, and primarily the title is heels. I mean, talked about the big Haskins win, but even the big Haskins win is cut short because, yeah, because, by the injury. Yeah, like it's such a it's such a weird promotion because Osprey's reign doesn't feel the way that it should because people started booing Osprey by the next show. And then Haskins, who has this big, really cool moment, doesn't even get to enjoy it because that's when the neck injury happened. So they were going right to the right. Then we're going right to the British Strong Style era. So yeah, and, like, and then from there you go to, to Travis Banks, and it's like he doesn't even have a pure babyface title run because the he the crowd basically turns in yeah, like, and they turn on him. This, like this is a fucking crazy company. <laughs> like, like this company yeah. just like it cannot have a babyface champion because it just doesn't work. And Car Noir, when they start running shows again, Car Noir is gonna get booed. It's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Car Noir is already gonna be turning heel. We'll see when we come back. The crowd might be into him. Like same thing. Like Eddie Dennis winning the championship as a heel, basically, and then he's injured the whole time. Like It's a fucking I mean, weird company, man. They've really never had, like, a long... Walter. Walter's a tweener. Yeah, Walter feels like he's, like, kind of in between for his entire reign. They've never had, like, a strong babyface champion for long periods of time, for a long period of time, ever. Um, so it's just, like... It's a weird fucking company. It's a weird championship. But, uh... But yeah, I mean, I guess this big win for Osprey here, like you talked about, I mean, it was the culmination of what felt like the biggest possible fucking deal at the time. I really, I mean, who could have predicted what the UK wrestling scene became? But I remember at the time thinking like the Jimmy Havoc storyline and the way that everything was going, I was like, this is it. This is it. British wrestling is important again. People care. British wrestling is a big fucking deal. And like, this was nothing. This was nothing. Yeah. A fucking drop in the bucket for what British wrestling became. But at the time, I was just like, I cannot believe people are paying attention to this. Jimmy Havoc is the fucking man. And then his title reign comes to an end, and it's just like, oh my god, like, you know, Osprey, we'll see. Like, I didn't. Osprey shows up in Bola. Osprey shows up in New Japan. That shit felt like impossible. Osprey is the wrestler of all, the like, year. All, like, all, like, all at once, too. Like, like, you get, like, you get to 2016, and, like, he's, his 2016 to start is fucking. Crazy the two yeah. the two skirl matches gets announced for WrestleMania weekend for Gabe so he's going over there stealing stealing the weekend over there between uh between Zach and the six man then he has, then he faces Kushida the same week and an evasion attack and that's like it's a wild wild like year between this and then like April twenty sixteen it's it's insane yeah. yeah and then we end up at the point where. You know, now he's fucking wrestling Okada. He's main eventing New Japan shows. People are calling him the you know undeniable wrestler of the year. And it was just like looking, watching this show, looking back on it, it's just like, man, I thought this was the peak. I thought I was like, damn, Osprey did it. He beat Jimmy Havoc. He's the biggest fucking deal in the world. Like he's gonna, 
he's going to be progress champion for a while and people <laughs> are going to watch progress. And now you look at him and it's like, I mean, if it wasn't for everything that's going on in the real world, like Osprey this year, maybe IWGP champion next year, you know, soon enough. Osprey making Australian wrestling a thing, picking up Australian wrestling on his back and turning that into something that people care about. Like, what the fuck, man? It's, it's, it, it really is crazy to think about because just a few years ago, it was like, this is it. He did it. <laughs> you know, he's progress champion. Um, it's nuts. It, it really is nuts to think about. All right. Um, any more closing thoughts before we head out of here? Because I, I, I enjoyed doing this, doing this a lot. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Went longer than we expected, but not insane. Uh, no closing thoughts. Just, yeah, like, uh, you know, I uh, I tweeted something out hinting at this about a little trip down memory lane recently with Will Cooling and Jamesy uh, talking about some talking about British strong style. Uh, the British strong style era, like you said, comes a little bit after this, but uh, this was kind of the precursor to that. So, um, if you listen to this and you for some reason didn't listen to that, uh, maybe give that a listen and hear uh, a couple of people talk about where things go after this. Um, unfortunately, not as uh, not as high, not as positive as we are coming out of it. But uh, that's it for me, Quentin. What do you uh, what do you got to say to the people before we close it out? Oh uh, yeah, same thing over here. And, um... This will be a thing, like, for, like, I don't know how long we plan on doing this, uh, just until, like, it's no longer fun or, to, or until it's no longer necessary, but, like, I, I had great fun doing this. Hopefully you guys will uh, feel the same way, so follow us on Twitter at QNCR, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Hope you're here next time. All niggas gonna be fucking with me. I got two bad bitches gonna be rubbing my feet. I got three young niggas down the bus at the heat. And all y'all ain't got nothing to Ooh, now one of y'all niggas gonna be fucking with me. I got two bad bitches gonna be rubbing my feet. I got three young niggas down the bus at the heat. And all y'all ain't got nothing to uh, Okay, put your fucking hands up. This the fucking anthem. Smiling cause I'm young, rich, black, and I'm handsome. Not to mention wealthy, ass on the healthy. Young millionaire, what the fuck can you tell me? Smell me, nigga. That's Chanel Cologne I mean, you're up with the tourists When I sell your phone Like, ooh, sound like rich nigga problems I hit a bad bitch with a fist full of condoms In the randomness of risky menages Like, get the head right She can get what she want If it spits, then flaunt it My drip like a faucet She told me she was preggo I ain't even take the motherfucking dick Out my pocket yet The opposite She want me to fly her So I cop the jet Must be thinking I'm a one-way Ticket on a runway Dripping in my feng shui Sipping on a Sunday. One of y'all niggas gonna be fucking with me. I got two bad bitches gonna be rubbing my feet. I got three young niggas down the bus at the heat. And all y'all ain't got nothing to Ooh, me. Now one of y'all niggas gonna be fucking with me. I got two bad bitches gonna be rubbing my feet. I got three young niggas down the bus at the heat. And all y'all ain't